a long time. It's Lopez Radio episode 377 at Lopez Radio for all the social media. Of course, LopezRadio.com is where the uh, show lives and wherever you get your podcast. Joining me tonight is one of my best good friends, one of my uh, podcast brothers in arms, one of... uh, One of the best people I know. It's uh, Sean Arnold of the TMI podcast, TMIPod.com, at SeanATL on Twitter and at MSeanArnold on Instagram. What is up, dude? 377, you said? 377. Slowly creeping toward 400. Like, I am dragging my legs behind me like Lieutenant Dan. I'm I'm trying to remember the first one. I think it was like... Were you pre-100? Were you pre-100? No, I think it was like 198. Okay. Maybe. But I mean, dude, 180 podcasts since that's a lot. It's insane. It's uh it's a lot. And and you know what's really sad is you know, I had I had a I had a issue with the hosting cuz I wasn't doing it the right. I was still doing it the really really old school way and uh GoDaddy was like, "Hey, go fuck yourself." Um, and why don't you, uh, go somewhere else with your hosting? And when I did that, um, when you moved usually to a new podcast platform, it, um, it only pulls like your last 10 to 20 episodes, you know, they're not going to pull 315 episodes over. And, um, and I was like, all right, well, that's fine. And then when I went back to go get my descriptions from my old ones, cause I was going to start like a Lopez radio archive you know, um, you know, little podcast feed, I lost most of those descriptions. So if I want to know what that is going to be, I have to fire them up and listen to them. (laughs) And you're talking about like, especially in the beginning, uh, through, through about episode 200, 250, I was like, it was easy hitting three hours. Oh, just so easy. And I'm like, I don't, I feel like that's we. I feel like that's something we got to put carrying suitcase on the case. Yeah, maybe Just have like, hey man, every time you listen to one of these, I mm. need you to write it up. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that would work out pretty well, honestly. Um, but and, and it would, and he'd probably make it really funny. He's gonna listen to this and wonder why I just volunteered him to do a bunch of work. You've been voluntold, carrying. <laughs> You've been voluntold. Get on it. Right now, I'll send you the files. I'll send you a thumb drive full of 300 and whatever it is, 20 fucking something. Um, but uh, yeah, so 377. Glad to have you back on. Uh, you you actually helped me premiere a uh, a new, the maiden voyage of a new venture I'm doing on YouTube called Offline with Lopez Radio, where uh, basically the idea is to talk to creators and talk to artists about, you know, the, the things that motivate them, the things that, that slow them down, the things that make them scared to change, you know, stuff like that. Cause I feel like, I feel like you jump on YouTube and you hear a lot of people who are like, here's what you need to do. Here's what you got to do. Do this, try this. And it's just one person and they're not talking to anyone else because no one person's journey is the same when you're doing uh, music, when you're doing, um, you know, any kind of creative endeavor, when you're starting a business, like in your case, like it's, it's different every time you got different factors to worry about. Like your factors are very different from me opening a fucking used, uh, sporting goods store. Right. If I'm going to revive, play it again, sports, I 
have a very different business plan than you. <laughs> well, I mean, and here's the thing. There's certainly some science and some things that, you know, historically have been proven out to work. Right. Um, but I think the trick is, is, you know, number one, recognizing that there's really no silver bullet, right? There's not one magic thing that's going to make it all go. And then understanding that really that that's just a starting point, right? So, you know, like everybody, like I, I recently was asked to judge a startup battle um, competition in Charleston. It was college senior business students at various colleges around the Southeast, they'd won their pitch competition where they were pitching business, basically like startup business ideas hmm. and they won their college competition. And then all the colleges sent their winner to Charleston to compete against other schools for like one, you know, and it's sort of amazing. Like the two things is like, you know, number one, it was like, well, how are you going to make money with this business idea. And so many of them are like, Oh, advertising. <laughs> and I'm like, like, okay, like I get it, but that's just sort of the popular thing. Now it's like, Oh, I'll just go get a million people and then I'll do advertising. And it's like, well, first of all, you're not going to get like a million people. Like, what are you going to do for the two and a half years? It takes you to get, the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and there's no revenue, like how are you going to do that? Right. And to pay for all the shit you got to pay for. But also too, it's like, you're not Facebook. You're not you know, one of these places that, you know, commands a zillion eyeballs. So like, you got to think of another way to make revenue. But then the other thing is too, like email marketing, right? Like everybody's just like, Oh, I'm just going to do some email marketing. A new, I'm, like, I'm going to do a newsletter. <laughs> yeah. If that's your marketing strategy, you are dead, right? Like that's, you can't like, especially now because of all the proliferation of email and how much email people gets, like people still can do that. But my point is, is like, Yes. Is email marketing a part of a marketing plan? Of course it is, right? Like, of course it is. But how you leverage it, how you're going to get business from it, what you're going to do is going to be very dependent on the kind of business you have, the kind of audience you're after, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that's what I mean. Like, so if somebody says to you, like, if you've got a new business, you need to do some email marketing. Sure. Right. But is that the, is that it? Right. Or is that, it's like, no, like you've got to, then you've got to start doing it and figure out, okay, what specifically, how is it different from other things? What's the messaging? Like, that's all going to be unique to the DNA of what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. And so I've got that starting point, but then I got to figure it out. Like in our, in offline, we were talking about networking, right. About like building Twitch things. Like, you know, that's say, you know, if someone just says, yeah, network, that's how you build your stream. Well, sure. But that's not enough information. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but how are you going to network and how are you going to, and then what's the next thing, right? Yeah. Then like, once you make those roads, then what's next? Do you have a strategy to try to play with people? Do you have a strategy to try to incorporate that into your content somehow? Do you have, you know, some kind of cross pollination plan, right? Where you're going to try to, it's you know, just like showing up in somebody's chat and like saying hello to a few people, like that's not going to do shit. <laughs> Not anymore. No, that's, that's, that's all changed. So, so, you know, it's just about going, you know, look for people that have done it before and can help you, but recognize that every single thing you pluck, you're going to have to then look at through the lens of what you're doing and how you're doing it and figuring out how it's going to work for you. Cause it doesn't work the same for everyone. Right. Right. So, and that's the step. I mean, people just think, you know, again, and you got to do the work. The shit's not easy. Right. Like you can have the best. Uh, the joke always says is you can have the cure for cancer. And if you don't market it right, nobody's going to buy it. Right. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 all relative to what you're doing, and it's all you know. You brought up a great point in the in the offline episode we just did. The that it's all in how much work you're going to put into it as well. Like, are you going to get in there and just kind of hope it just takes off? Like, all right, I'm going to let you go into the into the big ocean. Let's see where you go. It's or are you going to actually get in and try to move the thing you're trying to move? Yeah, I mean, we've got a good friend, friend of the friend of the show, friend of our life, you mm-hmm. know, Curdy, and you know, who we, uh, who we both hang out with a lot virtually, you know, in voice chats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's always working on YouTube video. Like always. she just always is. And I know that sometimes she gets frustrated, you know, or not frustrated, but <laughs> just grindy work. It's hard. It's hard work. You know, yeah. I mean, people think these content creators just record some shit and like, you know, they think it's the good life of just like going on camera. And then when you're done, you just push two buttons and somehow this content just appears. It's not. It's like they're probably spend four amount of four, four times the amount of time preparing and doing back end stuff yeah. than the actual creating of the stuff to make it to where it can go out. Um, but, you know, it's like she works her ass off and does the work and it's paying you know what I mean? It's it's a slow build. It takes time, but it's starting to pay dividends. And it, I know there's a lot of days when we're talking and she's working on stuff and it's frustrating because something technical is not working the way it's supposed to, or you're struggling with a graphic or, you know, you've got weird edits you got to do or whatever, but it's like, but at the end of the day, she does the work and yeah. that's, and, 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 you know, she's seeing results. She's going to continue to see results if she keeps doing the work, but it's like without the work, it would just be nothing. You know, it it would never really take off. Right. And and two, like you have to also think about the fact that it's not just that. Like when 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 you're when you're live, when you're doing a live show, even like let's say you're you're outperforming music, you still gotta deal with the crowd too. Like so when someone like Curdy is streaming live, she's dealing with a chat, she's dealing, you know, she's dealing with YouTube comments, like and getting to know a lot of people who do things like Twitch or things like, uh, like YouTube creation, you just have to be ready to deal with just shitty people too, you know, just shitty comments like here. And, and it's, and the internet never sleeps, right? Like you might go to sleep, but someone, you know, on the other side of the world's watching your video, like, I'm going to tell them how they did this wrong or how they could have done this better. And like, you're just kind of like, God damn it, man. Like, I know, like if I could do it better, I would, you know, in most cases. Um, But to some from that also comes some I've seen where that happens to people. And first they're mad about it and then they think about it for a couple of days like, yeah, I could probably do that a little better. Um, So it's a give and take, you know, to have that that constant loop of feedback coming your way because you're putting yourself out there. You're putting yourself on camera. You're essentially just doing your own TV show in your living room or in your office and just being like, all right, world, come talk shit to me. Well, and that's where, like, I mean, I try to be careful and sensitive too. I mean, I don't, you know, I, well, let's just, let's, let's, let's create the caveat that there are just really terrible humans out there. And uh-huh. I want to try to exclude them because some of them just, you know, want to watch the world burn. You know what I mean? Like that's oh, yeah. their MO. So, but, you know, we were talking about music and we mentioned in, in, offline i went to see tears for fears last night um and it was unreal like they were so good and um like music 
it's interesting, and I try to check myself because um, uh, things that people like to be hypercritical of, right? And when it's and usually entertainment co- content, right? So that would be Twitch, podcasting, movies, television, music, right? Mm, like, yeah. I try to be so careful because what I because here's the thing. There's a big difference between saying I don't like something and saying that something is bad, mm-hmm. right? So I don't like it is, you know, that's fine, right? Like <laughs> right. everybody saying something sucks, right? Or is bad is not. And like with music, I'm I, I'm probably overly empathetic to like musicians. And I think this expands to other content creators because I don't know if people appreciate the amount of work and heart and with music, especially because normally it's something intensely personal, Yeah, you know? So an example, the new tears for fears record. So they just released a new record. I think it's maybe the best record they've ever done. And that's considering, I think songs with, from the big chair is one of the greatest, certainly one of the greatest records of the eighties and one of my favorite records ever. Yeah. Um, it's called the tipping point. So the, the, one of the singers, Roland's wife died of alcoholism in 2017. And the main tack, track called the tipping point is about her and her struggle with alcoholism and basically him watching her die right like knowing she was dying and the theme of it is is she's even though she was alive she was dead already right like you could see like she was a ghost of herself like you know and so given all that there will be people that'll be like fuck that song that song fucking sucks right whatever and it's like okay you don't like that song but to him, right? Like it's everything. that's an unbelievably personal thing that he it's like if you walked into the middle of a of the town square and just said, I want to tell you my story about my kid that got sick or my wife that died or my of a relationship of mine that went horribly wrong, right? And I'm gonna share it with you in this particular format with sound and you know, you know, rhyming and poetry, which is, you know, basically what music is. And then somebody to just take a huge big shit on it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, and it's like, okay, but that's what I mean. It's like just trying to understand the line between I don't like it versus it's not bad. Now I've heard some technically bad music, right? That's sure. not, you know, whatever, but those are just way different things. You know, I think it's the thing, it's just saying it's not for me. Like, you know, it's very popular for like people to take a shit on nickelback, right? Like, you know, yeah. that's a you know, and I get it, man. Like, here's the thing though, like those same thing, man. Those guys, you know, they that shit means something to them and they've worked hard and I got to respect it. Like you may not throw it in and whatever, but also too, there may be a lot of people that bitch, but like Chad Kroger ain't hurting for cash. You know what I mean? No. Like there's plenty of people that will buy, you know, that eat that shit up, but he's got a like, solid wallet. <laughs> yeah. I just get though. But, and I, and again, the, the larger thing is, is like, there's definitely shit that I could say that's not for me, mm. but I try real hard to not take a dump on the, the, you know, the, 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 either the person's work ethic or the person's, because, you know, to them and probably a lot of other people, that stuff is, is important. And, you know, and a lot of, a lot of time and effort went into making it happen. And you just, I just try to respect it. Like, I just, they feel like sometimes we're not respectful enough of other people and what they do and the stuff that they care about, because it's just, it's easy to take a dump on you know, on something because, you know, it's just not your, it's just not your, your bag. 
Yeah. And, and to your point about something like Nickelback, like, yeah, you can be like, yeah, this sucks. I hate it. Uh, you know, whatever. But clearly, clearly it means something to the artist. And clearly it means something to a lot of fucking people that bought those albums. Like those albums, those, those, their big two or three albums that came out were just enormous. And the songs still get play. Look at some, look at a band like Bush. 16 Stone still gets active airplay. And that shit came out when? 96? 95? A little before, yeah. Somewhere in their mid 90s for sure. And, and like, it's just, you cannot deny the fact that there is something about it. When I worked at Project 961 in Atlanta, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't like uh, Nickelback. I wasn't the biggest Nickelback fan, but I was absolutely aware that most of the people that listen to that station loved Nickelback. So I mean, you just—it's the nature of the beast, man. Like it's you—you you may hate it, you may think it sucks, but in most cases, when you're on the internet dropping comments like that i don't see your fucking album like i don't i don't see i don't hear your song on the radio like it's it's relative and i think that's too something that you want to say is indicative of age but i think you know trolls and assholes get older too and they just they're just miserable people sometimes and they just want other people to be miserable with them so it's just like the person that points out to their significant other eh, you could lose a little weight or eh you could, uh, you know, wear something different. You know, it's 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 very much, you know, you're not you're not really you're poking fun and you you get to go off and do whatever the fuck you do in your trolley time, right? And and you're leaving the other person with some hangups, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't know, man. But you know, just respect the hustle. You know, yeah. like I, I I I I like anybody that'll go get after it. There's plenty of stuff out there that I don't like, but I I respect the hustle. Yeah, you know I, I mean it's. And I don't want to stray too far from the Tears for Fears thing because you had a couple of points you wanted to make about that show. Um, mm -hmm. um, I, I think you and I, the first time we met in person, actually, because um, we had podcasted a couple times together. And so, like, the first time we met in person was a Hall and Oates show where Tears for Fears was opening for Hall and Oates. That's true. Um, I still don't understand why Tears for Fears was opening for Hall and Oates, but you know. I it, I guess it is what it is. I don't know. Maybe they were maybe they were trying to warm back up or something from taking a break or something. No idea. But um, they were amazing. It sounded great to me. They they outdid Hollow Notes. I mean, and Hollow Notes was good, but they outdid them for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it it was an incredible show. What I was thinking about when we were chatting earlier because we were talking about offline. We were not offline your show, but offline from all this stuff. That's yeah. gonna be confusing. <laughs> we were talking not recording and we were talking about this piece of equipment that we use and they just released a new one and you know how much technology's changed and you're hosting for your podcast and we talked about that at the beginning of this but like mm. it, it's it's wild to me to even just when i was at the show last night like i was pretty focused on just taking the show in because they're one of my favorite bands but i can't help myself but just look around and see what's happening from a production standpoint you know because it's that used to be the world i was in mm -hmm. and well, a great example. And, and their stage show is not anything crazy. It's a cool, they had like a ring shaped light rig. So it was like the whole back of the stage was a, a light scaffold that just went in a big circle. Right. And then there was a bigger circle behind it. And they had, you know, they had robos on them, you know, robo lights. 
I feel like they had that when we saw them too, like maybe a smaller version of it. It was a square in the one we saw. Okay. And it didn't have the light rigs. It just had the big video board. Okay. Okay. But then this one is, and then in the middle of these ring lights, there was a big circular video board. Okay. But it was just watching where they had, and, and this is relevant, right? Because it's music and it's, I think it's germane to this conversation we're having. Um, the videos that they ran for not all the songs, because for all the songs, they had some kind of something going on on the board, but for a handful of the songs, the video content, the visuals were actually tied to the music, which they're performing live. So there would be points where like the music would come down and there'd be a big cymbal crash that would come in and like something would happen on the screen and the timing, right, was, and you know, they're just running a video. And the way that works for those that wonder how that happens is, is that um, the video is run through a computer, um, the drummer in his ears has a click track or they have, it's a track that just will just go like a metronome timing. Yeah. Right. So they'll know that like, okay, we've synced up the timing to where we know how the song's structured. And we know when that big stop and cymbal crash comes in. And when these different parts of the song, if you stick to this tick, tick, tick in your ear, the video will match, even though everyone's playing the music live. And just from a, a just from a choreography standpoint, it just was incredible to watch because that requires quite a bit of production effort, obviously. And then, but then everybody's got to execute, right? Yeah. There is no like wandering, meandering off. You know, the guitar player can't just be like at a Prince show, for example, where he'd just be like, "Hey, I'm going to take an you know another eight bars here to just noodle around on the guitar or whatever." Like you can't do that shit, right? Like you got to stick to it because otherwise it'll throw off the the thing. But like, I just try to wonder like how much tech has changed. You know what I'm saying? And over when everything, when I was doing it was pretty analog, to be honest, like, you know, you had soundboards and amps and stuff, but it's like now, you know, drummers have in these keyboard players, they've all got computers back there with them and they can run, you know, sample tracks over the top. You know, if they got stuff they don't want to play, you know, there's just like string parts, for example, you know, or stuff that's just laying underneath and I just wonder for guys like that, right? When they started, I mean, the, the you know, Tears Fears first album was 1983, right? That's when The Hurting came out. Yeah. And it's like, holy fuck, can you imagine? Like, even just what doing your job's like for them now, like with all the tech and stuff. I mean, still at the root of it, you know, you've got a guitar in your hand that's been around for however long of guitars have been around, thousand years or whatever it's been. Yeah. But, but then the stuff it's all connected to is so much more sophisticated. Well, and, and how much how much is the skill? I'm sure there's a give and take, right, with the skill set that has had to change for like a roadie that's helping them set up or a guitar tech or a drum tech. Like, yeah, maybe some of the more physical, like manual stuff is gone because you've got, you know, machines that'll help you calibrate that, computers that'll help you calibrate and tune things. <clears throat> but the, the, the take is now you have to learn to do that. Because before you're doing it by ear or before you're doing it by, you know, however your method was, right? So that, there's probably a crazy amount of, yeah, this is easier once you get to know how it works. Like, it's like implementing a new system in IT. Yes, this is going to make this thing easier, but I still have to learn it first. And then it's going to make it easier later. Yeah, so light and sound techs for sure now are basically have to be support engineers. Yeah. Like meaning computer like help desk kind of skills and drum techs because usually the drum if you have a keyboard player they'll sometimes take that load but for a lot of the things the drummer too will have like if you have backtracks and stuff they'll run that from the kit mm -hmm. you know from behind they'll usually have a little 
console off to their left where they've got all that stuff loaded up. Yeah. But yeah, man, those guys got to know how to like, deal with software and shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just like bringing a tuning key for a drum, like, and making sure the Tom <laughs> right. you know, tuned up. Like, those days are, I mean, you still got to do that. But, you know, on top of it now, you've got, on top of it, I mean, I was just, I, we, I stood behind the soundboard for a little while last night. And, you know, now even the boards are all digital. You know what I mean? Like, the boards themselves. Like, mm -hmm. and what's funny is, is I think they leave analog stuff just so it still has tactile analog feel. But there's no analog. You know, an analog board, like all the sliders were attached to a little lever that was actually physically hitting things, right? You know, now it's like the brakes on your car. Like, you know, old school brakes, you know, when you pushed them, it pushed a thing that levered and hit pads. The brakes were physical. Now when you push your brake, it sends computer code to tell your brake pads to close down, right? There's no physical mechanism that works on a right. brake. Yeah, the caliper's not manual anymore. <laughs> like, it's... No. And, you know, and that's what's kind of wild to just look at the tech. And I mean, no shit, man. It's like, that shit looks like they're getting ready to launch a spaceship. You know what I mean? From back there, the sound with this and the light boards and stuff with mm. all the, the they, I mean, they've got CAD design, you know, where they figure out where all the lights are going to go. Because also in conjunction with the video being synced up, so are the lights. Yeah. You know, so all these light programs they have running, you know, for the show are, it's just, God, man, it's just like the tech is just completely insane and like and i just it's got to be like if i was gonna list like if i was gonna interview those guys that would be a, i would really want to talk about talk about how much technically different it is now versus when you started like put yeah. just putting on a show yeah like what what yeah what is what is different about your method now then yeah that that would be amazing to know like because i'm sure I don't know. Maybe, maybe when you're a band that was that big in the '80s, maybe not not too much changes for you. I mean, I guess your your conditions for hiring people maybe change, but I mean, at some point that just falls to someone managing, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> but yeah, there's there's got to be some differences to be like, oh yeah, now I've got because I'm sure in '83 they didn't have as a sophisticated monitoring system as, as you know that you had before, you know. No, they had speakers in front of them. Yeah, those, those speakers, like, people don't really know that. They think that that's just something that, that someone comes and puts their foot up on while they're singing or playing guitar. No, that's how you hear what's yeah. happening. That's, that's, that's the music playing back at their face so they can hear that everything's all right. Um, I'll tell you a hilarious story. Um, we live in Atlanta, where you're listening to this from. Do you remember the old Cotton Club that was down on, on Peachtree and 10th? It was like... Um, right across the street from what's now is the Federal Reserve Bank, but it used to be that big green space where they had Music Midtown. I don't think I ever went to that one. I think by the time, the first time I went to the Cotton Club, they'd already stuck it under the tabernacle, right? Yes. Okay, so there used to be a room that mm -hmm. was down at Peachtree and 10th, and it was the Cotton Club. It was about a 500-seater. Yeah. So you would sort of get emerging national acts there, right? You get some bigger local regional acts and emerging national. So an emerging national, for those of you that don't know the radio lingo, is usually like a new band that's maybe got one song on the radio, right? So right. they're just getting started. You, they can't fill up the Roxy or somewhere, you know, 2000. They can't fill up a 1,500, 2,000-seat room, so you put them in this 500-seat room. <laughs> the Cotton Club in Atlanta, I remember the first time we played there, for whatever reason the monitor the stage right monitor picked up 99x <laughs> and 
and just in the middle of your show, you would just hear whatever was going on on like on that, whatever was happening on the radio. 99X was a radio, an ultra, a modern rock radio station here in Atlanta. It would just be coming through. And when you would finish the song and go down, you would hear like Chumbawamba playing or something like, yeah. you know, or something like, you know, like. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for the morning X, blah, 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 blah. You're like, what? Randomly playing. And it was the most like spinal tap thing of all. Time, <laughs> right? Like it just was like, what is going on now? Why am I, why am I hearing Tom Shane from the Shane company right yeah, now? But, <laughs> it was just an, but that's the thing. It was just an analog speaker that just got you. If you're the guy standing stage, right? Those boxes were giving you what you wanted to hear, like what you needed to hear to do the show. Cause people don't understand too. The speakers are usually out in front of you. Yeah. So in order, in order for you to be able to, on stage to be able to hear what's happening, you have to have sound coming at you. Yeah. So there were speakers. Now everybody wears in-ears, right? Everybody wears these things and you're getting it in your ear. Back in the day, that's why all guys like my age and older, we're all deaf because you had the sound in the room, which was loud as shit. And then you had to make those things louder than shit because if you were going to hear yourself, you yeah. know what I mean? And you're standing five feet from a guitar amp and a drummer that's playing, you know, hitting the drums as hard as he possibly can. Like, and it was just like this crazy cacophony of sound going on on stage. And the only way you could hear anything is going through this little box. They called them wedges, right? Monitor wedges. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. whatever your wedge was, like, that's where you, before the show, you'd tell the sound guy, I want to hear the snare drum in this. I want to hear my guitar. I want to hear my voice. I want to hear the other singer's voice. And that's it. I don't want to hear anything else. I want to hear the bass player. I don't want to hear the other guitar player. I don't want to hear... <laughs> you know it's and and it's just like and again that's all changed but i tell you when we were doing it we started we switched over to in-ears those kind of started happening right about the time we were doing it mm -hmm. and you know what's funny what we had to do is and this is just i guess what people get used to we've talked about this talking about the difference between using closed back or over ear headphones versus in-ears um we got some in-ears and we absolutely hated it because it made you feel really isolated. It sounded amazing. Like you could hear more than you could ever hear before because you're just getting it right in your ear. We had to actually, we started at our shows putting two SM57s on the edges of the stage and pointing them at the crowd. Oh, so you get the crowd noise? And making them put the crowd in our ears. Because you felt like you were playing in like a garage, your garage. Like there was no feed, there was no, not feedback, like guitar feedback. There was no feedback from the room. You didn't get any of the room sound. Oh, that and had to be weird. Very antiseptic, sort of like sterile. And when you're like well, the, our kind of band, we're a live band, you know, like we're a jump around and everybody have a good time kind of, you know, band, right? Like it was a rock band. And, it just, it was like that we did one show and we're like, we gotta, we gotta do something. This sounds wrong. It feels like we're just in, we're not getting anything back from the crowd. And yeah, that's it, gotta be odd. It, it makes it hard to perform. You know what I mean? Like you can see it. And that's the other thing too, is you see it. It's like when your monitor sound goes off, mm -hmm. it's like, you can see everything, but you can't hear shit. You know what I mean? So it was just really strange. It's, it is odd to me to, to look at or talk to people who, um, who stream or the, the podcast and uh, we're talking about sound or maybe they're upgrading, you know, upgrading their equipment or getting new equipment and stuff like that. And um, when I ask them if they like, I, I'm always interested to know if people monitor themselves in their headphones because it's a very radio thing. You like the, you go, you go through like broadcast school or you get trained at a radio station. I'm like, all right, everything that comes through this board is going into your headphones, your voice, the song, everything um the phone whatever and so 
I'm just used to it. I feel weird without it. But there are people who literally don't know how to deal with their own voice coming into their ears. And it, it's so weird to me. I'm like, I, I feel like something is wrong. If I'm not hearing myself in my, in my ears, I feel like something is really, really wrong. Um, so it's, it's, it's always interesting to see, to see different takes because, you know, clearly radio is not what it used to be. And there's, there's a lot of people who are essentially doing radio, um, on the, on the internet. They're, they're, they may be playing a game. Maybe they're just sitting around literally having a talk show, just chatting on Twitch or something like that. And it's, there's no different, you know, the, the chat is your, um, is your are your callers and you know it's it's not there's nothing different other than that and it's visual and i'm just kind of like so so no one gets that traditional training of like hey you want to you want to make sure everything sounds good and you can usually tell when someone is is new or hasn't listened back to their own stuff to be like oh does this sound good is this a good thing uh to even listen to um because you could be like hey man you're way you're blowing out your your microphone you sound like shit and they'll be like it sounds fine to me. Like you're not listening to yourself, bro. <laughs> yeah, that to me is from a measure of control. Like I've heard people say that too, and I just don't understand. Well, how do you know if you don't sound right? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's literally the like the the. Well, there's only there's two main components to your product, right? What you're putting out visually and what you're putting out sonically. Yeah. Like, and if you can't hear. I don't get it. Like, well, and again, maybe I'm just a dinosaur, but it's just like to me, I was just like. I would want to know if something sounded funky and the only way I can know is if I can hear it. Well, and how many, how many times have you been, cause, cause you and I have watched a lot of Twitch. I mean, we usually watch it while we're working. Um, <clears throat> and you don't see it as much on YouTube because that's pre-recorded stuff and it's, it's usually edited and, and watched a million times before it's posted. But how many times have you been in a, in a stream and someone's like, all right, BRB, I'll, 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 I'm going to go use the bathroom and they come back and then they spend like 30 minutes playing a round of a game and they don't even realize their mic's muted. They're talking, but all you hear is the gameplay. Or maybe you don't even hear that. Like maybe they muted the whole thing, and they just you just you see silence. And and it just I, that is my nightmare, right? You know, like that is my nightmare. Looking over and being like, oh, I didn't hit record or something like that. Like that is also my nightmare, right? Or the alternative, which I've seen so many times, is people say, "I'll be right back," and again because they're not doing any monitoring in their ears they come back to their desk and they think their mic's muted and they have like a five minute conversation with their roommate or their wife or girlfriend or husband or boyfriend or something, or they take a phone call Yeah, and they just got a hot mic, but they don't realize it because they can't, like if they had their ears on, they would be like, Oh shit, I'm hot. Right. Like I'm my, this is all getting pushed out there. That's why the on air light exists. Like, you know, if the mic is on, that light is on in the studio. I wish I had a way to to tie that into the into the roadcaster somehow. I would love it. I would love it if the mic if the mic is on. Like, let me know, right? Um, but but yeah, I mean, and and then you get people who get cheeky. Like, honestly, I, I'm I'm a big fan of making people think I forgot shit. Like, I'll leave my mic on and I'll just have a fake conversation sometimes. And uh, or or my personal favorite is when you sign off. And then you're like, oh, these fucking assholes, you know, like you're like yeah. these, these assholes, blah, blah, blah. Just talk shit like openly and, and just make it funny. But it's, it's always fun because the people who aren't in on the joke are just like, oh, he left his mic on, you know, shit like that. Well, bro, that was your old sign off from uh Twitch. Let's get the fuck out of here. Let's get the the dude out. that yeah. was like, the dude. Oh, the news anchor. Yeah. Broadcast. Yeah. 
and yeah. thought he was done. He was like, <clears throat> clearly had not had a good day. Yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> the office. Uh, like, fucking love it, man. Or uh, what was the Bill O'Reilly one? We'll fucking do it live. We'll do it live. Fuck it. <laughs> fucking <Yeah>. thing sucks. <laughs> I love that shit so much. That's tomorrow, and this is today. I can't read that. <laughs> it's so but good. Everybody that's been in, I mean, Holly's got hot mic stories. That's the thing, man, is everybody that's ever done this for a minute has got a hot mic story. Yeah. You know I mean, like, it's, it, it is going to happen. It's like it's, and no matter how many you tell people, it's like just assume any mic you ever have in front of your face is hot. Just assume mm-hmm. it's hot, right? Yep. Like, and it's like you can tell people that all day long, and somebody's gonna screw up. And oh, I can't tell you the amount. It's like, like I'd be sitting in a studio, and like I'm talking to someone, and I've got my hand on the the mic pot, like just kind of like in, a, in an OCD type of way, just. I have it pressing into my thumb, like, so I could be like, yep, it's down while I'm talking to this person. Like, it's just something that never leaves your mind. Kind of like when you're, you got your headphones on and you're working on something in between breaks and you just hear silence. It's the loudest thing you've ever heard in your life. You're like, yeah. why isn't anything playing? What's happening right now? Like, you start like hitting everything on the console. Like, what the fuck is going on right now? Um, yeah, quiet is the enemy. I mean, dead, that's because dead air would get your ass fired. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, back in the old radio days, like especially when everything was manual, right? Yeah. Like, because you've thrown off the clock, you fucked the clock up. Because yeah, we have the to play. <laughs> the clock is wrecked. You ruined <laughs> the clock. I bought a house. <laughs> <laughs> that was our favorite thing when I was on the Giant Show in nine six one. Like, anytime we did something stupid, anytime we did something stupid or something that was like okay we're gonna get in trouble for that like we'd literally just look at each other and be like i bought a house like, <laughs> like it was it was so fucking funny man but uh my my first time on the air in atlanta i, I think I've, I'm, I've probably told this story before my very first time on the air in atlanta um i had to fill in for the night guy on 961 and i was like this is what i've been working toward for fucking you know ever i was like all right cool i'm gonna be on the air like i was i was pumped because i did all the things that like i did i probably did like unnecessarily amounts of things to just have exposure it worked i got a job there but like literally i i like i i I did an internship and i'm in the middle of the internship and the pd's like why are you doing an internship i'm gonna i'm gonna call you about an interview um so you could come and be on air here and i was like I don't know, <laughs> like blah, blah, blah. And uh, so they they basically just kind of paper whipped my my internship, said, oh yeah, he's done all the hours. And they, they put me on part-time. So first time I jump in and I fill in for the night guy <clears throat> and um, I'm getting ready. And, you know, I just, I kind of did like a, you know, sit down with the PD. He's like, yeah, just go in there and do your thing. You, you know what you're doing. And, you know, you got your liners and, you know, things you need to hit and stuff like that. So first, very first, thing i cracked the mic very first break and um i'm like i said world class rock bulldog 1037 <laughs> and and then it was just like i was i i couldn't talk after that because i knew i'd i was like and then it was like maybe two seconds and i was just like song <laughs> i just hit the song you know I was just like all right i'm just gonna press that and i sat there and i just stared at the floor and I was like, what did I just do? And I'm like freaked out. 
and turns out nobody even heard it. Like, like no, no, nobody that would have been mad about it. But I even told the PD about it. He's like, oh yeah, that'll happen to you. Don't worry about it. He's like, we got people in this building that that work at two or three different stations. <laughs> like, and and they do it all the time. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah, it's so funny. Like Holly, like tells me like she cold sweats. So she CNN has it. Uh, uh, my wife has an offshoot called News Source. And news source is a product that CNN sells. So like if you're like, you know, let's say you're the ABC affiliate in Houston, Texas, right? You can pay a fee to CNN and like, let's say that you want to cover the, you know, like the, the Boston bombing, you know what I mean? Sure. Or like something in the world goes on. CNN will send people to that thing. And if the Houston station pays for that, small stations, they may not be able to afford to put people or have the personnel to put somebody on a plane and send them to Boston. So what they'll do is, is they'll say, Hey, we want to use our news source thing or whatever. And they're like, okay, we can get you a person in this time slot to do a hit. Right. And they'll just, and they throw it to a CNN person and they're unbranded, you know, they don't wear anything and they just represent themselves as if they're part of the, that news station's team. Right. Yeah. And and they're doing reporting. Like if Holly went for news source, I mean, you're talking to police, you're talking to, you're getting information and then you give it. And then the anchors can ask you questions like, what are you hearing about this? What are you hearing about that? And they report and then they cut, cut away. And, you know, then the local station goes on about their broadcast and then Holly or whoever was doing the news source hit would then go, okay, now you're going to do the hit for the next person on the list. And right? doesn't, doesn't that work both ways? Sometimes, sometimes they like, Someone like CNN couldn't get couldn't get someone out there, but so they'll they'll you hear people being like, oh, National might pick this up. Yeah. So <laughs> if they have audio, if they have video or something they want, they would go, hey, can we get that? Like if you have video or something, they'll they'll buy it or they'll license it. Yeah. So they can run it. Or you know, sometimes if they want to use, not so much using a reporter because that'll just you know, there's some danger that's protecting the brand a little. So I hate to say it works in different directions, but you know if. If they're reaching out to CNN, they know the person that's in the field doing that is going to be someone that's like a super pro because you don't get to CNN to be a rookie, but you right. can have someone very green working at But like local. CBS and ABC, they'll reach out to their local affiliates because they're ABC, CBS people. Uh -huh. Yes, 100%. Even though those are technically like almost franchises, you know, they're sure. not necessarily owned by CBS. They're not right. called O&Os, right? Owned and operated. Mm -hmm. But yes, it works that direction. And and a lot of times there's, for big news stories, there's a lot of intercooperation anyway. Like even if CBS gets something that ABC doesn't have, they'll make it available to ABC, right? Like, or, you know, or that sort of stuff. I mean, it's somewhat competitive, but it depends on the nature of the news story. But anyways, Holly just always tells the thing because basically what happens is, is there's someone, so Holly's in Boston, a news station that's reaching out to her is in Houston. And then the control, master control's in Atlanta, right? Where somebody's in, you know, a big room like you see in the movies, right? Where there's monitors everywhere and all the sound stuff and yeah. they're sort of directing traffic. Well, Holly's wearing an IFB, right? A, a, an in-ear, you know, an earpiece where she's getting talked to by control. And they'll be like, Okay, um, in 30 seconds, you've got Bob and Sally from Albuquerque. And <laughs> then at WR, you know, whatever it is, or in that case, you'd be case, you know, KR2, you know, KRZP mm. um, in Albuquerque. And then you go, and then they'd finish that, and they'd be like, okay, in 20 seconds, you've got Frank and Sal, Frank and Janine from WKZP in Baltimore, Maryland, you know, go. <laughs> and, Holly is like, so, because then she's like, she'll do it. And after, cause you may do 30 of those mm -hmm. 
in an hour, an hour and 15, an hour and a half, you know, like, because all these affiliates are wanting to get their hits. And it's like, you're just struggling because she, she's like, and I've, they've said it right in my ear. And 10 seconds later, I, it's gone. I don't, I've done so many. I don't know the names of the who, I don't know who's about to say something to me. Right. And where she's like called some, a Frank Tom or, you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's got to be stressful. Like the call letters or whatever. But yeah, like, but she's got those stories where too. It's just like, all of a sudden you're just sitting there going, uh. I swear I'm a professional. I swear I'm a professional. And it's like, I'm fine talking about what I got to talk about, but if I got to, you know, cause it's always like back to you, Bob, you Yeah, know, like whatever the thing. And it's just like, and you know, it's like, then you just learn not to try. She's like, if I can't remember, I'd just be like back to you guys, you know, or whatever. And right. it's just like, cause there's so many times I've said the wrong name and you know, they're probably just like, who's Bob. <laughs> right, right, right. You try to figure out like, who the hell is that? But then you just figure out little things that you know will work. Right. And you're just kind of like, all right, well, if I get in a bind and I don't remember what this is like, yeah, be sure to go to this website or, you know, be sure to check out the website or give us a call, like something like that. You know, just you figure out ways out of it. And you can always tell a broadcaster that has been like whether the radio or TV or I mean, even in some cases uh, with with stuff like Twitch now, because there's people who have been now doing that for many years. You can just tell that they know how to get out of a situation without making it a situation, you know. They know they got the the gift of gab. I worked with a guy named Chris, uh, Chris at my old old station, my original station, Bulldog, and uh, you could talk to that. You couldn't shake the guy on the air. Like he would roll with anything, and you you just couldn't you couldn't shake him. And, and you know you go to like a live event with him, like you know when I was still like a remote tech setting up the table and setting up the uh, the antenna so it could talk so it could transmit to the station and all that stuff. And, uh, <clears throat> anything, anything could come up and he would just be like, he would roll with it. He'd make it part of his, his liners that he had to hit. And I'm just kind of like, how do you do that? He's like, I've just been doing it forever. And like, he's just, after a while, you just realize you just see these little gaps that you can squeeze through and that's it. It's the same thing with music. Like I was talking to somebody about, um, the other day about dealing with hecklers mm. um because i developed a pretty serious arsenal of defensive techniques you know what i mean because mm. i played a lot of bar gigs man and it's just you know it, this was long you know this was before the internet really like and internet trolls but those people existed irl long before the internet yeah. you know was around and they're just there trying to get, I don't know what they're trying to do, you know, to make everybody's life miserable. I don't know, get a rise out of their friends, but you know, you're somehow going to end up being the one that becomes the focus of their thing. And, you know, I had younger guys or just be like, you know, you just wreck somebody that's heckling you or whatever. And they're like, how you're so fast. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not though. I've got like a, in my mind, those, I've got about eight things that I can just use, you know, and I just mix them up, Yeah. you know? And it's like, because I've been doing this for so long that, yeah. you know, it's like just got the Rolodex of insult. Yeah. Or just how you want to try to, and depending on how you want to shut somebody down, right? Do you want to do it soft? Do you want to do it hard? Do you want to, you know, do you want to embarrass them? Do you want them to just go away? You know, yeah. that sort of stuff. But it's like, you know, hear comedians talk about that a lot too. Like, and, and like, especially seasoned comedians, they realize when they do need to do that, right? Like when they do need to be hard on someone or when they just need to kind of let it roll or let someone at the venue take care of it because 
you know, depending on what point in their set they're at, where the crowd is feeling, you can lose a crowd by going too hard on somebody. Sure. You know, you can absolutely lose a crowd, and then now you got to do the work to get them back because all of a sudden, like they don't like they don't know that someone's talking shit to you in the front row because this person's in the back row of the upper level, right? So you're kind of like, wow, that guy just he just went after that guy, you know? And um, so just it's just knowing when to, to to use that stuff and that that comes with time too it's it's funny it also just shows it just reinforces too like how infinitely stupid people are oh, yeah. like as a whole like heckling a comedian i mean that's like the equivalent of like picking a bar fight with mike tyson yeah like you really want to verbally spar with someone that not only is funny for a living but stands up in front of a bunch of people every night and mind you, whose voice is amplified by a factor, right? Like this many people, a handful of people around you are going to be able to hear you and the entire room is going to be able to hear whatever that guy says. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's just like, how dumb do you have to be to go after a comedian? Like they're going to just tear you apart. You know, like, I don't understand why people think that ever ends well, because it won't. Yeah, it never does. And I've never understood, honestly, the the urge to yell out during a show. Like, I've gone to so many, con like, I've probably been to as many comedy shows as I've been to concerts. And inevitably, someone's going to yell out something stupid. And most great, most really good comedians are going to ro roll with it, ignore it, or have a good way of shutting it down. <clears throat> And, and, but I just never know, I, I've never had the urge to just holler out at a show and say something dumb unless like the comedian, unless you're sitting in the front row and he looks at you and asks you a question or something like right. that, you know, that's different. I've been in that situation too. So it's like, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's like you said, it's just assholes have existed, um, have existed in, um, since well before the internet. You know, I, even last even last night there was a dude at Tears for Fears that was like in front of we were in the eighth row we had pretty good seats but sure. he was kind of in front and to the left of me and at the beginning of the night the guy starts yelling out songs he wants them to play it's not and I'm like bro like are you under the impression that they didn't come here with a plan. <laughs> No man, the symbol crash with the with the video monitor is all talent. It's all fucking just pure luck. Like, are you? Do you not think they have an order of thing? Like, is that how you think this works? Like, they're just gonna go, oh, the fat fuck in the front row that's had too many forty ounce beers for eighteen dollars a piece or whatever they are. <laughs> It wants to hear a song. So let's just reorganize everything we've done tonight so we can play whatever it is for this guy. How are you at a Tears for Fear show and not know what a fucking set list is? Like, I, how can you be <laughs> at any show? Like, you know what I mean? It's one thing if, like, you're again at what I used to do, right? You're at a bar gig and a guy's in there playing covers and you're just like, yes, that is the appropriate environment to go, hey, can you play, you know, fucking brown eyed girl? No, I can't, but thanks for asking. <laughs> right, right. Or, you know, think of a better song and I'll be happy to fulfill your request. Now, I, my pers personal favorite was 
sure, write the name of that song down on a hundred and put it in my tip jar and I'll be happy to play it for you. <laughs> um, um, anyways, what were you going to say? Sorry. No, well, speaking of the tears for first thing, I, I thought of something I wanted to ask you. You mentioned last night that it was an amphitheater show. Um, do you, are you more of an amphitheater person or an indoor concert person? Or oh, amphitheater. It, you like amphitheater more? Oh, give me outside anytime. It sounds better. Oh, really? Okay. I've, yeah, I've, like, I've always preferred indoors. I don't know why, but I've always preferred indoor concert. But I'm more visual, so I don't know if that's part of it, right? Especially in the in the summer when it gets dark so late. Sometimes you're watching a show and you're like, "This doesn't look right." Like you go to a music festival and you see like, um, you know, like a, a metal band play, and it's like sunlight outside. And you're like, "This looks weird." Yeah, purely sonically, right? Like from a sound engineering standpoint, mm -hmm. um a sound guy not having to deal with the bouncing around of sound Makes is going to make it sound better. Yeah. Right. Because the sound goes out into the universe and just disappear. Right. Like it goes out into the sky. Whereas in any room, you know, now some rooms are built better than others. And that's a hurdle that you can climb. Not to say that I've never heard a good sounding indoor show. Absolutely. But I know that whoever's working that show is going to have an infinitely easier time to dial that shit in. Because that stuff, amphitheaters are actually built to direct sound out and away from the stage. Yeah. And in a concert hall, it hits the back wall and comes back at you. And it hits the side walls and comes around. And amphitheaters don't have that. So the sound just, when it hits your ears, you're hearing it the first time. It's EQ'd and set up to best to where it hits you on the way out. And then it passes you. And then it's gone forever. So... So that for me now, the concert experience isn't, that's not necessarily true. It depends on the amphitheater. depends on where I'm sitting, but as far as just purely how it sounds like, give me outside every single time. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I guess, I uh, guess it's just more a visual thing for me. Like, I, I don't know. Like I, I like being indoors, like a medium to large size venue. You know, if I'm pre you know, if I'm pre preferring it, it's going to be like the tabernacle. Right. Um, I love the tabernacle in Atlanta. Um, but I've seen a lot of shows there too. So, so here's the caveat that kind of room it's better. And here's why the amount of power it takes to fill that room with sound is a lot easier to, to manage. It's like riding a small horse. Yeah. But like if you're in Phillips or in the Georgia dome or in Mercedes Benz or something like that, you have to literally just decibel, like, right. Like just to get people in the back. And to throw the sound that far, you have to create so much volume, right? That it becomes a problem. I don't know if you recall, but like I went to U2 at the Georgia Dome, which was the first concert they ever did in the Georgia Dome. Mm -hmm. It's the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. It, just because of how it sounded. Because it's that weird fabric they had on the roof, like all the metal scaffolding that was exposed. It just, there was a lot of things working against them in that scenario. And those guys, I mean, it's U2, right? It's not like there was anybody that didn't know what they were doing. Right. And it's not that U2 was playing poorly. It just sounded absolutely atrocious. That and, sucks because it was bouncing from every direction. Yeah. And it was just, and because of the round nature of it, you also couldn't isolate because with, with, at least with, with right angles and flat surfaces, you can kind of figure it out. But with rat, it's like, and all these weird, it's just everything, you know, it's like a bullet storm, right? Mm -hmm. Like in a video game, right? Like it's just everything coming in all weird. 
And then things bounce off each other. I mean, you know, we talk about like reverb, you know, we've talked about the concept of why you do that. I mean, that's why in good rooms you get some good natural reverb. Yeah. But if you don't do it right. So those medium rooms, the tab sounds amazing, right? Like that's a, that's a killer place to see a show, but it's kind of short and tall because you have the balconies. That's also easier because again, in order to get sound to the back of the room, you do not have to crank those amps, right? It does not have to be super loud in there. I would even argue sometimes in the tabernacle, I can physically hear the guitar amplifiers on stage, right? As much as I can hear it in the thing. If you're on the lawn at Chastain or whatever, you're not hearing somebody's Marshall stack that's sitting on the stage. You're only going to get what comes out of those big fuck off, you know, racks and racks of speakers that are up on the thing. Yeah. So yeah. So medium to small rooms are fine. I love seeing shows and those, but that sound is way more controllable. The bigger the room gets, the bigger and enclosed. Cause think about how an airplane hangar sounds. Have you ever walked into like our big warehouse and you talk, yeah. you know, the difference between that's think about that. Just your voice in a warehouse. Like yeah. you were, when you were at Best Buy, if you walked into the Best Buy warehouse, think about how you just sounded speaking way different. That's what you're dealing with, with speakers, the size of your two of you, right? Like, yeah. and it's awful. So the bigger the enclosed space, the worse it's going to sound. Didn't they have an issue with Mercedes Benz Stadium um, at the at the start? Like Garth Brooks was like the first big concert there, and it and people were just like it sounded terrible because of all the glass. So yeah. a glass, they have that whole back wall of the thing is you know it's glass, <laughs> which is great for being able to see the city and all that stuff. But glass is your enemy, right? Like with sound because glass vibrates. You know everybody's seen the thing where crystal. You know now that's a specific kind of you know, where you rub your finger on the glass and it hums. Yeah. When glass vibrates, it creates, it doesn't move like wood or metal, right? Like it moves different. And it's, if you've got glass around, it's, you're guaranteed to have a nightmare of a time. I used to always love when we would pull into some new joint we were going to play at or some bar and they set you up to where either the wall you were facing was all glass or the wall right behind the stage was all glass. Now, if the wall right behind the stage was all glass, that was okay for the audience. But, you know, we talked about those monitor wedges. That means that everything I'm hearing is going to hit that glass and just hum in my ears all fucking night long. Yeah. Because of the way the glass is. But, yeah, all that glass at Mercedes-Benz just is a challenge. <laughs> have you have you been to uh, – and I think I know how they – how they fix this. I, I meant to look last time I was there. I've been to a couple shows since they moved the, uh, the masquerade. Um, and now it's where underground Atlanta was. Um, it's in those little strip mall areas. Mm, I've been there. And so they've still got heaven, hell purgatory and it's literally strip mall. So like the outside is glass. The outside is all glass window. But I, I seem to remember you go in and only like a, a few panes of the glass to each side of the door maybe are still there. And I think they I think they just covered up the rest of the glass, if I remember correctly. But I remember looking at it from the outside and being like, that's got to be a nightmare inside. <clears throat> now, I have been to one show where I don't know who fucked up, but man, you could not hear you could not hear the singer at all. You could hear the band and they sounded great. You couldn't hear the singer. And I was like, I was like right up in the front. Because it was it wasn't a seated show. It was just a you know a, a standing room show, and I could hear the singer, but not him through his microphone. If that makes sense, like kind of like you said, you could hear the sta the Marshall stacks. I could hear him singing. He could have just put the mic down, and I would have heard him the same, you know. And I don't know how they fucked that up because the opening band sounded fine, 
Yeah, I mean, there's different sound guys, first of all. You know what I mean? And mm. who knows? But like another tips and tricks if you like concerts. Um sound is directional, right? Mm. You gotta think about speakers like faucets, like fire hoses, right? Yeah. Spraying out sound waves. Um the soundboard, which if you notice, the guys that it's always generally right somewhere in the middle of the room, mm -hmm. the guys that are mixing sound. Um the speakers even in a room are generally set up to sort of focal point on that space. The reason is, is because you want the sound guy to mix to what he can hear. Right. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're, so I know people always clamor to be close to the stage. It does not sound good up there generally, right? Yeah. Because you're actually in front of the cone, right? If you think about it coming together in the middle, if you just want to hear a band. So my always thing is like, if you're going to a band where you're going to listen to them, right? Like they're unbelievably sonically good and you can buy tickets, look on the seating chart, figure out where the well is right for the sound guy and find some seats around there because that guy is mixing the sound to sound as good as he can get it to his ears. And that's where he's sitting. And it's going to sound different in the wings. It's going to sound different up front. It's going to sound different in the back. So, but it's, it's just to your point, like, and again, that's just can do room setup, right? Because sometimes you see where like the speakers hang out over. So if you're right up on the stage, the speakers are actually out in front of out, like you're, you're in front of the speakers are behind you, yeah, right? Even though you're in the audience and there's just no way for you to hear that. All you're getting is like some peripheral bleed from those speakers and you're hearing probably what's going on on stage. Hmm. And it makes it really hard to hear vocals in that scenario because like, like for example, you're always going to hear the drums when you're standing up front. Like, great. You know why? Cause you're literally hearing the drum sounds. Yeah. You're, you're right in front of the drum of, set. You're hearing a crack of a snare. Cause you're hearing when that guy hits that snare. Right. And in the back of the room, you're hearing the snare through the speakers. Right. Yeah. So yeah, all that stuff is very, but I mean, live sound in big, it, it, I mean that those guys that are good are worth their weight in gold because it is not always easy. Right. Like it is not always depending on the room and it's just, well, and I got to imagine too, like if you're, if you're, cause you you know, your sound guy, guy travels with you, does he not? Or do, do they work? Yes. For no, no. Well, for that kind of act, 100%. I mean, yeah, if you're a big touring act, your whole crew, everybody is your people. And a lot of times it's your boards, believe it or not, like those big boards, they'll bring their own board. Like, you know, the tears for fears. And I don't know this, but, um, for a fact, um, but there's a semi truck that has that light rigs, the scaffolding, the guitar, everybody's equipment, the sound stuff. So one of my buddies, Alan Smith, is actually the production manager for Ameris, the Alf, the Amp where we went last night. Mm -hmm. And they the trucks got there at eleven o'clock yesterday morning, and he's there to meet them. And their crew brings in everything, builds the stage, brings in their sound boards, wires everything up. You know, they'll have some basic stuff. You know, there'll be a trunk from like the sound, you know, they'll, there'll be a trunk that goes from the sound thing in, but like the big Phillips and arena shows, there's literally nothing. They'll, the, the band will bring everything. So they'll basically, they're basically building the concert from a sound engineering standpoint from scratch every day. Now would, would places like, uh, like a big arena, like say Phillips or, or, or Mercedes Benz, would they have someone there to be like, Hey, they're, they're the guy to talk to be like, Hey, you're going to have a bad bounce here. You're going to have a bad bounce there. You need to make sure to correct for this glass over here or no. Maybe. I mean, a, a good production manager, venue production manager should know that stuff. Right. Like, and, and to be honest with you, like at those levels, um, the sound guys, 
my bet would be the sound guy from Tears talked to some of his buddies that have worked that room before that do what he do does and that does what he does and will get some of that in intel. Okay. Like, you know, he'll talk to another sound guy for another band that's been through there and they'll say, you need to look out for this. You need to, you know what I mean? Like this will mm -hmm. be a thing, you know, cause it's just like any gig, you know, you're, those are your peers and mo everybody knows everybody, you know? So, um, you'll get some of that, but yeah, a good production manager should be able to help with some of that. You know what I mean? Like that a venue will provide now smaller venues. Um, a lot of times will provide a, a sound because again, sometimes small to mid bands may not travel with the sound guy. So you may have a guy that's attached to the venue or sometimes people will hire a local guy, you know, like when we first started, we didn't travel with an engineer, right? Like we just, the ven you know, in our contract, the venue, the venue would have to have an engineer. So they had a guy that mixes the room, right? And he knows the room. Now that's a total fucking dice roll. You know what I mean? Cause that guy could be a alcohol. I mean, believe me, we had, you had everything, I'm sure. I mean, I won't say where, but like that we, I rolled in one time where we were getting ready to play a show and it was like a radio showcase. Like we had a bunch of like radio people there and we loaded in and I walked backstage and the sound guy was back there just, just hammering lines of Coke, like in the back room, Jesus. like before the gig. And I'm like, are you the what, sound guy? <laughs> what are you doing? Carl, you know what, I mean? <laughs> what are you doing, buddy? Um, but that's what I mean. Like you just total, you just never, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there, think about it. It's a guy that's doing mixing live sound in some bar, you know, he works every night, you know, in some music room that seats 400 people. You know what I mean? Like he's working three or four nights a week. There's no telling what kind of, but yeah, like that's how it, sometimes that's how it was. I mean, it leads to some of the stories, but most of the big acts are going to always have all their own everything. Like they're not going to think about it from a business standpoint. They're not leaving anything to anybody like that kind of production you're not you're not putting anything in anybody's hands you don't know yeah uh, uh, yeah absolutely I, I could see that like it's that, that at that point it's your baby and you're, you got people paying a lot of fucking money to come see you like you've got you know yeah, I spent 225 bucks a ticket to go to that show Shwee. I mean and I mean we sat again I was seven rows from the front you sure know I mean down in the thing I was in a you know we were in really good seats but I mean that it it uh, Ameris seats 12,000 people and it was sold out. You figure average seats, what, 100 bucks in that thing? Mm. I mean, 1.2 million, right? Like, God. that's not a, you know, but that's what I mean. Like, you're not. You're that's before not, the Ticketmaster fees. Yeah. I mean, but you're not, you know, you're not, you're not skimping on, you know, and really big acts. So here's what's crazy. Like Metallica is famous for this. I don't even know if they pioneered it, but you know, they got to a point where they were playing these arena shows, their whole stage setup, sound gear, stage mm -hmm. stuff, lighting, all that stuff. They had two full sets because it took two days to get it built and they would leapfrog each other. So I want to say they had 12 semis, and they would go to one place and set up and the other one would go to the next spot. And while they were doing one city, the second set of shit would get built in that city. Then the band and the people would fly or bus or do whatever they got to do to that one. And then they would break the down the one they just built, leapfrog that show and go to the next show. God. So they paid to have two. And they famously had like Metallica has an accounting semi. So they would have like a truck that had their office, like they had one semi where the back of it was built out into offices 
So they could pull in and do merch, dealing with the venue. Man, the managers had a place where they could go in and sit down and do work if they needed to. They could have meetings. They could do all that shit because it is a company, right? It is a multi-million dollar company. Just insane. Right? That yeah. was going and think about like at a Metallica show, you would have, you know, famously Dave Matthews would do his average was one to one point five million dollars in merch mm. at every show. Right. So just think about dealing with the t-shirt and hat vendors at the end of every night and making sure you get all your money and get the fuck out of there. And right? get all the extra stuff back. Like Yeah. Jesus. So so think about that. Like you're literally you've built you've got two sets of everything. And they're just going so that because it took so long to build it all because they're building everything from scratch. You didn't have to worry about like, oh, well, we're done with this show at 11 o'clock at night. Somebody's got to tear this down till four in the morning, drive the thing 250 miles. You know what I mean? To wherever the next thing is, build it all for the show the next night. You just can't do it. So you got to, you know, they have two sets of everything in these huge semi trucks that just would be driving to and from the venue. Well, and let's not even like factor in the fact of world tours. We're going to go to Europe for the summer. We're going to, we're going to go Europe to Japan, to Australia, you know, like something like that. Like I just, the logistics involved with something that big is just something that I think most normal people can't wrap their head around. I would say, I'd venture to say most people, not even most normal people. I think most people couldn't wrap their head around you know, a band like Metallica, for for instance, is like, okay, yeah, we're we're gonna do the same thing, but we're gonna do it overseas with language barriers, with like all kinds of shit, <clears throat> pre-internet. Yeah, well, but again, like a band like again with resources, it doesn't like a band like Metallica is gonna have their record company and are gonna have people that speak the languages over there. They're yeah. gonna have somebody on the road rhythm that can translate. You know what I mean? They're gonna their management team's gonna have somebody there to deal with the stuff they gotta deal with. Um, you know, so with resources you can do a lot, right? You you can, you know, with 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 enough money. But you know, you're talking about again, like just here's I mean, I shouldn't say it's little, but like that's, you know, Metallica playing forty thousand seaters every night for probably the same I mean, you're talking about three, four, five, six million dollars a night. $10 million a night. I mean, you just don't know with merch and stuff like yeah. you can afford to, and like with the European tours, you know, they'll do the same thing, but instead of shipping it, they'll get vendors over there to say, we're going to do the same thing, but this is what all we need. And they'll get all the gear from somewhere. They'll either rent it for the length of the tour. Right. And yeah. then they load up all the trucks and they do the same shit in Germany that they would do in Iowa, you know, but it's just, over there and then all the bands got to worry about just physically getting themselves there that's and, insane you know and like you know guitars and instruments are the only things that are a little bit squidgy like because some people have their favorites you know so and in that case you know if you're flying or whatever the you a, a musician would just and that's another thing too that's a lot different it depends because a lot of times you see guys where they play like 80 guitars like that's one of the things that's to me is really cool about tears is Roland Orzabal who's the the long-haired guy, mm. um, he plays a cherry Fender. I mean, and, and he plays that. He's been playing that guitar. That's his. That's his guitar. He plays one fucking guitar. He plays an acoustic when he plays an acoustic, but that he plays that one fucking electric. That's it. And he mixes in a couple of acoustic songs, and that's purely so somebody can take it off him and go tune it and make sure that you know strings are good and all that stuff, and then hand it back to him. But you know, you see a lot of these guys like Dave Grohl. You know, plays a couple, but he mostly plays that baby blue 
ES-335 that he plays all the time. Yeah. Right? But then that's just his guitar. I mean, so it's different with guys that have 100 and they don't care. But some guys will like just want to play their guitar. John Mayer Prince played this 72 Honer, like this Telecaster that he played all the time. John Mayer's got that that natural finish fender that's all it's it's almost worn to the bone because he plays it so much but like that thing never goes out like when you see a that thing that never leaves them like when they leave they'll take it with them they'll put it on a plane with them they're carrying it with them yeah yeah they physically got it with them they uh yeah i mean i've been to shows and it's mostly like you know crazy metal guys or whatever but like you just see the rack of all the crazy looking guitars back there and they're like swip- swapping out guitars every song and stuff like that. And it's cool. I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's to each their own. Right. But man, I'm just kind of like, that looks like a pain in the ass to travel with. Now, sometimes there's a practical reason for that because you may have people that use alternate tunings, mm-hmm. right. Where the guitar is tuned to something different. Yeah. And so the reason why you use multiple guitars is then a guitar tech is off stage while you're playing a song. They're getting the guitar into the tuning that you want. And then when they hand it to you, the guy, the guy didn't have to stand up there and figure out what note each string is tuned to or detune it in the middle of a show because it breaks the flow up for the show. But like, you know, like obviously Tears doesn't do any weird tunings. They play everything in, in standard tuning, right? So he just plays his one fucking guitar the whole night. And... <clears throat> you know, but yeah, but like the, th- the, the flip side though, is when you go, guys that got 60 guitars, they'll just let the guitars go with all the stage and crew. Cause they don't need to like, they'll just roll in and their rack of 20 guitars is in the back and they'll just use whatever they're going to use. And then the next night they'll use a different set. You know what I mean? So yeah. they eliminate the need of somebody that's like, no, I played this one. Right. And this one is the one I'm going to play. And so this one's never leaving my side. What do you think is harder for a tech to deal with? A lot of guitars, one guitar. Um, Honestly, a lot of one guitar is harder to deal with because your margin for error is very low. If something goes wrong with that one, then what? Uh, well, I would, uh, yeah, I'd hope they'd have a backup, but I mean, but I mean, or you know what I'm saying? Like you've yeah. got, but like the reality is, is that they've got a lot to choose from no matter what happens. Cause a lot of things can foul up on a guitar, right? Yeah. And, and, or pedals, you know, like that's the other thing too is like there's, there's been times sometimes, you know, guitar players will have six, eight, 10 pedals and each one of those pedals has a, you know what I mean? A 12 inch patch cable. And like, all you got to have is, and it's all in line. So like if one of those patch cables goes, the whole damn board, the whole footboard goes down. Yeah. First pedal goes out. The rest of the board's fucked. And then you're like, what now? What? Right. Like now, how do I, you know, what do I do now? I got to go figure out, you know, I got to start reverse engineering and figure out where, you know, that's broken. So, I mean, I think, you know, just like anything, I mean, I think those guys are doing other stuff, but you know, I would think that it's probably less stressful to have a ton of different guitars. Um, but it's probably more work because you're make, checking them all and you're making, but again, none of that stuff is decided on the fly, right? Like they know that this guitar goes with this song. It's going to be the seventh song in the set. They've got they've probably got them lined up in the right order in the rack. You no. Know, and they've done it long enough. They've got but like really good guitar techs are also luthiers. I mean, to a degree, like you, I've seen guys, I've seen guys replace hardware on the fly. Like, a, you know, the pickups in a guitar, yeah. like I've seen pickups go bad. They hand a guy one and two, you know, they'll have spare pickups and they'll just unmount a pickup and fix it like right there on the spot. Um, you know, and then get that guitar back into circulation if they want it. I mean, so, it, you know, most of those dudes are freaks. I mean, they're, experts at what they do yeah you know so 
Um, and, and nine times out of 10, this is also what's crazy. And you've seen this, but a lot of times guitar techs, I mean, you're familiar with like the understudy concept and plays where whenever you're doing a play on Broadway, there's someone that learns the main part in case that person gets sick gets or whatever. Sick or gets hit by a bus. Yeah. Nine times out of 10 guitar techs are great guitar players and they will learn all of their person's guitar parts because you just never know. So I can't remember if it was a burn or an accident. Again, going back to Metallica, just I'm thinking about it. But this was back in the 90s, I think. But he either burned his hand on a pyro. I think maybe that was it. I think he was standing too close to a pyro. And it sounds familiar. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah. And um, he couldn't physically play, and his guitar tech just played out this rest of the show. Like, he sang, but like his guitar tech knew all of his guitar parts. And so he just jumped up on stage so they could finish the show. Um, so a lot of times you're, you know, again, most of the time, really good guitar techs are really, really good guitar players and they will. It's probably very valuable. And that's something to just, you know, you just fucking never know. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you can't really do it with a singer, but you know, guitar drum, you know, instruments, if somebody can pull it off, you can get through, you know, in a pinch, you could get through a show. What do you miss about about uh, playing and going out and, and touring and stuff like that? And what don't you miss? Um, I mean, or do you even think about it anymore? Like, is it something that's just kind of like that was a chapter? It's gone. Yeah, it's a little of that. I mean, the other thing too is I think it's the benefit of perspective. I mean, I to be honest with you, like what. I, what I missed about it right after it was over, I wouldn't miss now because of where I'm at in my life. Right. So I love, bro, we drove around the country, you know, we just rolled into places. We would go check out. We were staying in some shit hotel. We would get to see stuff, go to local restaurants, load into some crappy little venue, meet people, have some drinks, shoot some Jaeger, play some songs. You know what I mean? Hang out, do it all over again, roll them somewhere, go do a morning show interview somewhere, maybe go play golf in the afternoon. But like, it was a very, you know, weeks at a time we would do that. I would not do that now. (laughs) Like, I like, are you shitting me? Like sleeping in my own bed is like my greatest. I love, you know what I mean? Even now when I go out for business or something and I'm in, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get home and get in my bed. You know, like I just didn't care back then. I was 22 or three or whatever. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Is so, is Metallica money going to get you out of that bed? Is Metallica money going to get oh, you to? Like, don't get, well, yeah, because here's the thing: with that kind of money, you can live. You're not. I mean, that's the other part of it too. Like we were trying to make it right, so we were doing everything on the cheap, which was fine because we were just having a good time. You know yeah. what I mean? Twenty two, um, nothing to worry about. I mean, I miss physically playing, right? Like I miss that part. Like I miss just actually doing it in front of people. Right. right. Like I still enjoy playing for people because I, again, much like we were talking about, about podcasting, I like, I like making the stuff and that's the only reason I do it. But someone saying, I listened to that thing you did and I liked it is particularly satisfying. Yeah. It puts it over right. the top. Right. And so that's probably the part of it that if I had to miss something is believe it or not, we're leaving Tears for Fears last night, and our old bass. I looked to the right, and there was our my old bass player. Yeah, and I haven't physically seen him in 
15 years. How was that? Um, How'd that go? It was awesome. Like I was just like, and his wife and we were just like, and after the band broke up and he left too, we did some acoustic duo gigs together around town just for fun. And, um, we sort of made a joke that we were in this band that was playing around and we called ourselves no shame because we just were playing covers and just like unapologetically just playing in shitty little bars. And people were like, weren't you guys in that band that like was that a song on the radio or some shit? Yeah. I mean, it was like, yeah, no shame. We don't care. It's just fun. You know? And la- we actually talked last night about maybe doing a reunion, like maybe he and I playing a couple shows. That'd be fun. So, he wants me to come up to his house. I'm going to bring my guitar up there and we're just, he lives up in Gwinnett and we're we're just going to fuck around and just see if anything's there. And we may, you know, play. I mean, I'm sure we could find a bar to book us. You know what I mean? Like, because we don't need to make any money. We just want to, you know, go yuts around, but that part of it, um, I don't miss, um, the, you know, it's just, it was fun, but it's, it was hard. I mean, it, I don't think people think it's all, even with the big bands, I mean, you, you don't have any roots, you know, right. you're just completely sedentary, right? I'm, or, excuse me, uh, migratory or, or, you know, you're wandering, you're just roaming around. Vagabond. Like, yeah. Even when I was home, you weren't, you couldn't maintain relationships cause you're never here long enough to, you know what I mean? Like it just was, that wasn't, particularly enjoyable to be honest and you're exhausted all the time because your body playing is hard physically like if you are energetic and whatever but you weird hours we were just drunk all the time like you never you never get to rest properly when you're not at home either. No, and like honestly, when we would come off of a leg of it, like we'd go out on tour for two, three, four, eight weeks, mm-hmm. you know, where you're just doing that every day. And I would come home and lay in bed for like three days. I, I would get up to eat and go to the bathroom. And it would just take that to like get yourself. You can't, it's hard to work out. You couldn't do anything to take care of yourself. You know what I mean? Like it just was. It was really brutal. I mean, that's why I think it's young people that do it. Cause there's a point like now, again, if you're doing it when you're older, like these guys, there's a level of, of economy where they can, they don't have to live super hard. They've got a lot of people doing the shit. Cause the other thing too, is we were carrying all our gear in. We didn't have crew. Yeah. You know what I mean, like we were loading in our gear, we were breaking shit. You just play this great show. It's like funny how you say you do the rock star thing, right? You play this show, you got a song on the radio. Everybody's there having a good time. You're signing CDs and shit after the show they clear the room out and then all of a sudden we're breaking down drum kits and carrying, you know, like amps down staircases. I mean, it's like, it was really a kind of a hilarious sort of irony. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the illusion of what all just happened. And then here I am at three o'clock in the morning I'm coming down off the half a bottle of Jaeger. I drank, Ugh. you know, tonight, I, you know, I just had girls wanting to do stuff with you in the women's bathroom and, Mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lugging a, you know, I'm lugging a, my buddy's, uh, bass drum The two of us are trying to not fall down a flight of stairs, you know, to get it back out to the thing so we can load it up and then drive 200 miles overnight because we, you know, we're done with all that at one 30 in the morning and 200 miles away, we've got a seven o'clock morning show. We got to do the next day. Ugh. Um, you know, it, it just was, it, it's a, it's a funny world but yeah the playing the actual playing and 
people listening to you play is is a pretty surreal you know like I, it's hard to describe if people have never performed anything live i mean i would imagine it's the same thing for comedians or people that do plays sure um that instant that instant audience feedback and just like people are people are being entertained by you right there's a certain amount of drug like you know you're holding sway over the room yeah absolutely joy that comes from that i mean it's fun to to realize that you're entertaining people and that's something too that i feel like it's you you can't it's tough to replicate right like it's hard to replicate any of that like you can you can be live you can you can stream live and have tons of people in your chat like say you're a doctor disrespect or a shroud like it's not the same right like it's mm -hmm. definitely not the same as if they were sitting up on a stage playing a game you know, on a big screen and people watching them and cheering and stuff like that. That's gotta be a completely different charge. And I don't know if anybody even does that. I, well, I guess you got like major league gamers and stuff like that and big tournaments and stuff. That's gotta be a completely different feeling than I'm just sitting at home and there's a, there's a few hundred people watching me <clears throat> play this game. Cause then you have a big moment. Everybody celebrates, but you hear nothing, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, it's gotta be like a weird mind fuck, but I don't think there can be anything that that is probably as that I could imagine having more of a charge than pulling off something awesome in front of a huge group of people. Yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, in the few times that we did play in like really big shows, I mean, that's a whole also just another level. I mean, when you talk about thousands of people, mm. you know what I mean? Like it's a it's a hard to describe irreplicable sort of I mean, we did music Midtown, you know, once, and we played right before Cheryl Crow. It was like a, it was like the seven o'clock slot on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. I mean, there had to have been thirty, forty thousand people. Yeah. And I mean, that's not people. That's a, that's a an entity. It's a right? blob. Like, yeah. It, it, it and and they are, they are ready for you to do you know what i mean like they expect you to give it to them you know right. this is one thing i've heard comedians talk about right then i've heard seinfeld talk about this in particular i think i heard a roundtable thing with him and chris rock and somebody else talk about it once you get to be a known comedian it's dangerous because are people laughing because you're funny or and gervais has said this he's like to be honest i'm at a point where it doesn't matter what i do People are going to laugh and that's dangerous because they come in there going, it's Ricky Gervais. If he says it, it must be funny, but is right. it right? And so, you know, but you know, in a room, a hundred people, you can tell really quick, like who's into it and who's not, you can't disappoint. I mean, you can, you'd have to really fuck it up, but in that scenario, we couldn't lose, right? Yeah. Like there's no way you go out there and people aren't going to be ready to throw down. Right. right. Like it's just, you know, but that's a weird, it's just weird. The sound is weird. It's different. It's like you look out and are like, what am I looking at? You know, like this is crazy. Right. And, yeah. and so I think that there's a certain amount of, you know, just that, I mean, the flip side of that, I'll tell you a hilarious story. Um, you're recording this video, right? For yeah. This will go on YouTube. Okay. For the YouTubes. 
for those of you that are listening to the audio only, you'll have to. So we we played at this place called uh, Floyd's, which is in Tallahassee. Mm. And um, believe it or not, we were playing with Creed. Remember them? Oh yeah. This was before Creed was Creed. Right? Sure. They were from they're from Orlando area, right? And uh, we played at this place, and it was about I don't know it. 200 300 people or something like well no floyd's is maybe a little bigger but you know it's a it's like a cotton clubby kind of you know room Mm -hmm. and uh they had you know those big spools those big wooden things that like bailing wire and a lot of times in places will flip them over on their side and there'll be tables yes you know they're really just those huge spools or really cool guys in high school had them in their yards yes yeah (laughs) Um, so we were in a place, we were owning for Creek. Nobody really knew we were in Orlando yet. It was really early on. We're in there. And I shit you not, there's about, including the five of us in the with the group, there's about 12 people in the room. And that included the bartenders, the door guy, us, <laughs> and like three. But there was one dude sitting in the very back, and he was sitting in one of those, sitting in one of those spool things. And I shit you not, there were there were about seven butt heavy bottles. <laughs> like on the thing in front of him, just sitting there by himself. We start playing and there's no shit. Three, four people in the room. When we start our set, we're about two minutes into the first song and the guy's sitting there like this. So he just got his, he's got his hand just buzzed out of his mind, his chin in his hand watching us. And I look up and he goes like this. He goes, Oh no. And just the thumbs down, (laughs) just gives me the thumbs down. And like, we all saw it and like, just laughed. I mean, it was one of those, but that's like, that's what I try to tell people, right? Like this is the life. I mean, in three days later, we could have been playing in some town. We played out a million times and there's 500 people in there and everybody, you know what I mean? And it was just like, but man, that dude just did not, you know what I mean? Like he was not having it. And it just is like this weird it's such a strange, but like you're saying, when bands get big, like that's the thing, man, is like, it's sort of like minor league baseball play. Like by the time people get to the majors, you have no idea the shit that they've been through to get there. Yeah. You know, like, and the stuff, the stuff you did and the crazy, you know, where you come in to somebody, you know, your, your manager or somebody books you at something and you don't really know what it is and you go in and it's like a fucking petting zoo you know, or some shit going on. You know what I mean? It's like, what? It's like spinal tap again. It's like puppet show spinal tap. And you're like, what am I doing? Why are we here? You know what I mean? Like who, who thought this was a good idea? You know what I mean? Like to put us on this thing. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting too. Like, I, I guess, I guess, uh, you know, you brought up, we were talking about comedians a little bit ago. And I think what's interesting about comedians is they get to see, I, I say they, but a, a lot of comedians get to see both sides of that, like maybe working a big theater. And then during the week, a lot of people don't know those guys are working out in small clubs. Like they're working out in, you know, places like the comedy store or the cellar up in New York or the stand up in New York where you're talking about like 40, 50 seats, you know, so they get that, like, that's where they work out their stuff. That's where you see them holding a pad of paper, like, you know, like, all right, what am I going to try next kind of stuff? which that's like to me as a comedy fan is like my favorite thing to see one of my favorite shows i've seen bill burr probably six seven times at this point but one of my favorites um was he wanted to play the uh the atlanta punchline the original punchline before they closed 
and he had just released a special. So he literally shows up and like all of his, all of his, you know, his hour is, is burnt up because he, he's already released it to the public. So he's, he's, he's up there with a fucking pad of paper working on new shit. And we got to watch him do that for an hour. And it was just like, holy shit. Like just seeing the process, I think to me is more like, um, when last time we got to go to New York city, we went to, uh, we went to a couple of shows at the stand, um, on the same night. And, um, you know, you never know who's going to fucking pop up where they sit us in the front row, which is really terrifying because it's not like sitting front row at a big theater, like the tabernacle where the stage is like way high up and you're looking up. It's literally like when you go to these tiny clubs, it's it's one step up higher than the, than the floor you're sitting at, you know? And so we're sitting front row and the, you, the, you smell the clone, the comedians wearing, that's how close they are to you. Right. And, and, you know, but the thing I love about that stuff and going during the week is like, you never know who's going to pop up. So like on one of our shows, Jim Gaffigan shows up, you know, and like, it's just, he's just working on new shit and you're just like, this is the coolest. But I think that's, I think I've always found that interesting because someone like Jim Gaffigan can work a really big room and have those people that are there to see Jim Gaffigan. And he's got that like, yeah, they're going to laugh, but then he's going to turn around and play a 40 seat room on a Wednesday just to see what the reaction is to get a real reaction because I think you almost have to with that, right? You have to pick up the vibe and know what's going on with the things you're writing. Um, <clears throat> we just got done watching the, um, the Carlin documentary on HBO, it, but I want to see it. Oh man. If for those out there that haven't seen the Carlin documentary it's, it's it was done by Judd Apatow each it's a two part and, and both parts are like two hours long. It's long. It's, it's really well done, but the thing that was cool about it was they covered the fact that he started out as a really like, you know, he was on variety shows. He was, he did really clean comedy um, because that's what he knew. That's how, that's how he knew comedy. And then it went through, you know, where he turned into the hippy dippy weather guy. Like it just is like all the different things that, that Carlin did. And there was even one part they were, they were interviewing all kinds of comedians, you know, Seinfeld, Bill Burr was in there. And in one thing, like it was uh it was when Carlin first started doing what he became really popular for, which was like, I'm gonna hit you with some really fucking crazy political commentary and then some fart jokes and then some really crazy like like some really poignant things that still hold up to this day, right? Um and uh, you know, Burr was even saying he's like, We went to this show uh in Boston to make fun of him. Like, cause he was, he was getting that, that, uh, that reputation for being the guy that's still the same dude he was in 1977. And now, you know, you're coming up on the mid eighties and everybody's just kind of like your old news, shit like that. And then he's like, and then we got there and something had changed in his act and he just came out and was just firing missiles at the crowd. And. Like to see, I think the thing I enjoyed about that documentary so much is to see, and it's something we talked about in the offline in, in the offline show before we started this podcast was someone who knew that they needed, he realized he needed to change his approach. Cause I think people get into a situation as much like what you were talking about with Seinfeld and Gervais and Chris Rock, you get into this thing. Well, people show up and they love me. So, I mean, it's kind of like a champion that's undefeated, right? Like at some point they're like, well, I'm good and I don't need to train as hard. And then they get beaten like almost it's almost without fail, especially in something like MMA. The champion, uh, when they get beat, 
that's what's going to take them to the next level because they've got nothing challenging them to 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 up their game. So it was just a cool story to see Carlin see someone like Sam Kennison hit the scene and be like, oh, I've got to do things different. I can't just do wordplay all the time. I can't just you know talk about how weird these words sound like I have to actually start talking about what's going on in the world or, or just talking about what's important to me. And just to see that change w- is really cool. And I, and I always love seeing an artist kind of trans. You see it with, uh, you see it with musicians a lot. Like when musicians change up the way a, a new album sounds and yeah, they'll, they'll absolutely alienate a, a portion of their audience because their audience wants, no man, we wanted this. This is the sound we fell in love with. And this is not what I'm, what, what I'm going for. Bob Dylan's pretty popular for doing that. Pretty Lee popular Dylan, for doing that. I was just thinking Dylan's legendary. I mean, Dylan would almost do it. Dylan would do it on purpose. Like the whole thing with Dylan's electric record. Um, what heard your audience? <laughs> no, like, um, somebody said, ah, I'm not going to remember the story. Right. If I'm remembering correctly, it might've been a review or something he read or whatever and said, well, Dylan does this and that's what Dylan does. And as long as he does that, like he could never make an electric record. And Dylan went, well, guess it's time to make an electric record. Yeah. It's like challenge accepted. <laughs> like, you know, and I mean, and the whole thing was like, that's the thing is he's just like, I've already done that. You know what I mean? And that's another thing that fans are really, you know, like, People like it's interesting in the larger scope of how people won't apply the same lens to others as they do themselves. Like people want to evolve and grow and get better. Right. Like, so of course bands don't sound the same, you know what I mean? Like, or they, and people get so pissed if they do like an experimental record or something. Right. And it's just like, well, like, yeah, like, are you just going to be the same person you always are your whole life? You've always got the same things to say. You've got the same perspective. You don't learn and get interested in. I mean, you know, the Beatles were, I mean, they got away with, they were the Beatles, but like they did some weird shit, man. Like, you you know, because it's like, that's what artists do. Like, yeah. you can't be creatively great and not be willing to explore. Right. 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 And so... But then when you explore, you get people that are supposed to be fans that get mad at you for fucking exploring, you know? And it's just like, well, what, like, do you like me or do you like, I don't get it. Right. Like, how can you, you know, it's a mind fuck that you see content creators go through too, where there are people like, just play what makes you happy or just, just do the content that makes you happy. And then like, they do that they're like, cool, I want to try this game out and nobody shows up. And they're like, well, what the fuck? Like they said to play what makes me happy. Um, and it, what's interesting about music, and and I'm sure you'll you'll have some thoughts on this, but I think it has something to do with the fact that music puts, especially in depending on where you're at in your life, puts these very important fucking soundtracks, obviously, but it just it takes you back to a certain fucking place, and people want to keep revisiting that place. People that are non musicians, right? People that aren't actually the ones making and playing the music, like it. It, they want to be constantly right, like, ah, oh, man, I was, you know, the love of my life. I met her, and we listened to this album all the time. Blah 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 blah. And and then you know, a different sounding album comes out, and they feel betrayed because they're like, no, this was my, this was our band we had together, you know. So it's you almost understand it from a fan perspective too, because they tie completely different strings to those songs that mean so much to them than the artist does. Um. 
So I've always found that I've always found that interesting because I I've definitely had bands that I listen to and the new album comes out and I'm like, well, this isn't what I was expecting, you know. And but what's funny is a lot of times I'll put that record down and I'll come back to it in a couple of years and I'm like, this thing is fucking incredible. It's it's amazing how like sometimes the art it's amazing when you got an artist that can be just slightly ahead of their audience. And then all of a sudden, the album that came out that everyone hated two years ago is all people want to listen to. And it's got to be a mindfuck for the artists, too. Yeah, I mean, music's highly associative, right? Like, that's, a th- I mean, all last night, you know, Holly was doing it. Like, they would play a song, and she would be like, oh, I was in high school, and this, you know, I mean, that's a thing. I mean, I do it, everybody does it. Smells um, do that, and music does that. Yeah, but, you know, this thing is a theory I just talked about to somebody this to me is, I think I've been trying to think about this and sort of crack the code. And and again, this is just ignoring trolls and people that just hate shit because, you know, they like to hate shit. Sure. Um, why with a lot of these highly loved properties in art, usually now I'm talking about film, mm. music, television, um, people tend to ha- take things they love and then at some point just tear them apart. And I think I've figured out what it is. And and exactly what you said is I think it's a beautiful thing and why it's powerful because I think people tend to take a lot of ownership of things that they actually don't own. Right. Like you don't own that song. You have nothing to do with it, but you have created ownership because you've attached it to something. You know, I lost my virginity to that song. I, you know, I danced my first dance with my future wife to that song. I, you know, whatever it is you put with that song you know they played it before all my baseball games like whatever there's the thing right um then like here's what i think happens when people love things they start to think in their mind what they think the next step should be right and then it doesn't matter what that next step is as long as it's not what they imagined it was going to be it's automatically bad so I just rewatched Lost. I just finished it, right? And I remember how bad people said they hated the last two seasons. Even when I told people I was rewatching it, they were just like, oh, do you just stop watching it after season four, you know, or whatever. I rewatched Lost, and I'm not going to lie to you. The last three seasons of Lost are not bad, right? Yeah. It, I mean, it it got a little afield of what it started as because, like, how many more seasons are you going to put together of them just being on the fucking island, right? You got to do something else, right? They've just been doing that forever, yeah. right? It got a little weird, but was any of it a big divesture, really? I mean, they got into the backstory of the island, the lore of this stuff, and I, I was, and it ties into what I think is just like, no, people just imagined... They didn't know all that backstory, so they created their own. This is like with Star Wars, right? And people hate or you know hate the next thing because they've decided what they think the next thing should be, and then when it's not that, they don't actually give the next thing a chance because yeah. it's not what they expected, so it must be bad. They've already defeated it, kind of like uh, kind of like just any pick any like not any sequel. There's good sequels out there. Top Gun, the Top Gun sequels, uh, something that is flying in the face of that right but like most of the time people are like oh yeah a sequel's coming out it's going to be just as badass and you know they build it up and it just isn't doesn't end up being what they want it to be or it's just like i don't know if it's going to be good bad or indifferent but i think this character should do this 
I think this person should do that. If, yeah. if I was writing the story, it would resolve itself like this. Yeah, this person and needs to it, die. Yeah. <laughs> and then it doesn't happen and they just automatically hate it. And it's like, and, and the reason why I thought about records, exactly your point. If you're really a fan of a band, and I don't think this is your fault, I think this is human. Yeah. But you would just go, I'm going to go into this next record of this band I really like, and I'm not going to think about what it might be at all. I'm just going to listen to it like I'm listening to something new, right? And that's why when you pick it up later and go, oh, this is really good, because just because you'd already you'd already written that album in your mind. Yeah. And it wasn't that. And so your natural inclination there is to just go, oh, well, it's trash. So, you know, that's to me, like now I try, I, I actually try to carry that forward and say to myself, all right, I'm going to do my best to put aside. I mean, I'm going to have opinions about what I think should happen next in a story. Cause I like stories and, you know, of course I'm a thinking person and I want to do whatever, but you know, let me just trust the people that have made this thing I love and see if maybe they take me to a place that's better than I'm at. Right. Like that's the thing, like maybe it'll be better. But you have to be open to that possibility. Otherwise, it will not happen. You know, the perfect, how, how good it is. You know, and you know, the perfect example of this is Game of Thrones. Game of yeah. Thrones, people hate it. I didn't like it, but I, but I did notice that <clears throat> people's dislike of Game of Thrones started to, they started to part ways with Game of Thrones as soon as they departed the books. As soon as they departed what was already written by George R.R. R. Martin, like, then it became a mystery. Like, we all knew, like, anybody who read the books, like, okay, well, we know at least up to this point, this is what's going to happen. And then, and then they departed from the books to finish out the series. And it just wasn't what everybody was planning on it being, you know? I also didn't dislike how they ended Game of Thrones, and I was in the extreme minority. But this is the other thing I think people do, which happens, is people love something so, this happens a lot. People love something so much. I mean, people were freaks about that show, right? It was a phenomenon, <laughs> right? I noticed a turn when they announced that they were done. And this is what I think happens too. People are angry that it's going to be over because mm -hmm. they don't want it to be over. Yeah. They like it. And then I think they start doing this game of talking themselves into hating it. So when it ends, they're not sad. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. It's a, they're doing mental gymnastics with themselves to go, if I can convince myself this is garbage, I'm not going to leave here going, I'm so sad that that show's over. You know, I told, because, I told my wife, uh, I told my wife, I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, when people revisit it later, it'll make more sense. Or people who get into it later, and and weren't part of the whole like torch like you know torch wielding mob they wanted to go after you know D D over how they wrote it out and finished it out yeah. um <clears throat> i think it'll be looked at favorably down the road um you touched on it slightly um you touched on it slightly but star wars is another big one i mean look at look at the reception that the the prequels got you know the, the episodes one two and three there's a whole generation of people that love those movies because they were kids when they came out. Just like the people who hated it were kids when the first three came out. And it, it's and you, you can go on and on with the next three, right? Even that. Now you've got people that are like, they love the Mandalorian. They didn't like Boba Fett. There's a lot of people hating on Obi-Wan, you know, and but 
I don't know. Like, I I like Star Wars. I love Star. Wars. I've watched all of it, but like, I I guess I'm just not. I guess I've never tied Star Wars to really hard memories like I would with music, right? Like what we talked about with music. So for me, I'm just like, those are fun movies. I would watch those a couple times. I wasn't the biggest fan of the prequels. I thought the newer trilogy was okay, but I think that people had so many years to build that shit up. I mean, you had people that were five, six, seven when the original trilogy came out. So they had all this time to build their idea of what the Star Wars universe was like and what was going to happen. And now we're going back into the whole Obi-Wan thing. And I don't know if you saw the article that came out about Moses Ingram. Um, yeah. Yeah. Terrible. And like they, she was like, she's like, yeah, they just went ahead and told me up front that there's people who are just going to be racist to you. Just be prepared for that. They're just going to be mad that a that a person of color is in this role and and doing, you know, and, and going after one of their beloved characters, you know. There's people who can't separate that at all. Um, there's people who absolutely feel like that shouldn't be the case. Uh, what is it? Uh, the Boyega got a shit ton of uh, racist stuff said to him during the last three. And then um, <clears throat> the, uh, the one uh, Asian chick. And from, yeah, Rose. yeah, she got a lot too. And it was just kind of, so now this has just become protocol with the Star Wars universe of like, hey, any of our minority actors and actresses, we need to let them know, hey, since you've got kind of a big role here, um, the trolls are just going to come after you. And there's nothing we can really do about that. So you just have to kind of mentally prepare yourself. And so it's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I. So the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater was Empire. Okay. My dad took me to see Empire. Mm -hmm. So I was six. Okay. Um. So we went to a we went to a um. A McDonald's after, and I got the glass, the Empire. Remember when the you printed glass? It? Yeah. Yes. So I had it, and I lost it at one point. I'm so sad, but you know, my dad's passed, and that's a big, huge memory for me, right? With my dad. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I took ownership of that whole thing really early in life. Um, this is another thing about fandom that's really kind of screwy, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, like the other thing too is, is when the new new the new movies were going to come out, everybody starts saying it's like, don't just rehash the same shit. We want new story. Don't just give us the same thing over. Don't give us the same thing over. So the Abrams first one comes out and that's really just a new hope. That's really just episode four. Again, there's a planet with a big laser on it that blows up other planets. They have to go. I mean, they mixed in some shit, you know, they killed Han Solo spoilers. They did some other stuff like, but basically that story wasn't radically different, right? Then whatever. So then cue Ryan Johnson, who was the last Jedi, the second guy, right? Ryan Johnson just flipped the fucking table over, right? And just started, and then everybody fucking wants to kill Ryan Johnson and hated, you know, the whole thing. I, for me, I loved The Last Jedi, the Ryan Johnson, the middle one. Mm -hmm. And here's why. This is what Ryan Johnson did that everybody was so pissed about after they were so pissed about don't make the same thing. And they're like, all right. So he does something completely different. And they're like, how could you do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, but here's the thing. So Ryan Johnson was trying to run them down a path of this. At the end of Last Jedi, if you recall, there were the little stable kids, mm -hmm. right? And the little kid reaches over and force grabs the broom, right? And all of that is about John Boyega, and they're setting it all up. And what they're basically setting it up as is that Jedi now and people that are force sensitive 
don't have to be from this bloodline, right? One of the things that kind of always irritated me about the whole thing, honestly, just from a sort of a social statement standpoint, not to sound all woke and shit so I get canceled by the crazy fucking, but it was all about Skywalkers, right? It was about everybody that was special was blood related, right? Like it was Leia, Vader, you know what I mean? Luke, you know, you've got, there's the best ones are in this thing and it had a royalty vibe to it. Yeah. Very royalty. The concept of royalty is gross to me. Like to me, honestly, the fact that Britain still has Royals to me is just disgusting. The idea that somehow you have better station in life just because of your DNA is just a gross concept in general. It's yeah. yucky. Right. So, um, and I'm like, oh shit, Ryan Johnson is turning shit over and basically going, it doesn't matter if you're a fucking Skywalker. Like sometimes the poor fucking stable boy is a guy that can be special in the galaxy, right? And then everybody flips our shit and what do they do? They make Daisy a goddamn Skywalker, right? And it's just like, you know, and the thing that irritates me about that is, is like people wanted to shit. Ben Solo, again, same thing, Leia, right? Like it's all in the line, right? Kylo Ren, like, and it's just like, to me, it's like, hey, this is cool. Like now, guess what? That just opened up the universe to tell all kinds of fucking stories. You're not tied to the Skywalkers anymore. There's an infinite amount of new stories you can tell, right? Because you've just said, oh, we told you the story about the Skywalkers and yeah, they were good, but it do you don't have to be a Skywalker, right? To be, you know, somebody badass or to be prominent in the whole thing. And that's what I think Johnson was going for in the film and would have done in the third film. But, you know, again, people were just like, quit doing the same thing. And then they're like, you didn't do the same thing. Go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it's like that kind of shit just makes me wild. Cause I just think if you look at Jedi, the last Jedi, for example, in a, in a bubble, you're like, okay, well he did what you wanted. He was going to spin this off into something totally different, right? Like it was going to be, it was not going to be the Skywalker saga anymore. Right. Like we were moving away. We were going to put the Skywalkers to bed. Right. Like and start and move on. And the fans just wouldn't let it happen. Right. And that's why you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. Right. Like that's why you get, <laughs> that's why you get what you get because they everybody lost their fucking minds. So, again, it's just like ownership and then saying, I expect this or I want that. And yeah. then you know, they don't like that either. So, you know, it's just, again, to my point, it's like, just enjoy them for what they are. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm maybe partial. I mean, I'm not kidding, man. When I walked into, um, why am I blanking on, what was the name of the first new one? Last Jedi was the second one. Rise of Skywalker was the third one. The first one was, um, Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Yeah. When I walked into the Force Awakens and the, the <laughs> big, the, the music hits and the big yellow fucking star Wars shows up on screen. Yeah. Cried like a baby. Yeah. Immediate tears. My wife was just like, seriously. And I was like, you have no idea like how much of my child, like I just never thought I would see this. I never thought I would get to sit here and get to see a new star Wars movie. Yeah. After the prequel debacle and all that, I just never thought this would happen. I'm so happy. Yeah. And then I just sat there and enjoyed, I knew it was the same fucking movie as the first as episode four. Didn't care. Didn't give a shit. <laughs> like didn't care at all. Just sitting there as my fucking eight, to eight year old self, just loving every fucking lightsaber sound and fucking laser and beep boop from R2D. Like, you know, <laughs> like, 
It's I it, just and I just wish more people would approach shit like that. It would be nice, and you know, I think the the problem is it's it's just fanatics just build this construct in their head, and and how, of how they think things should go. Like you said, with with you know new albums that are coming out, they've already written it in their head. Um, Marvel is going through it with uh, Miss Marvel. Uh, she's Muslim, and people well, that's are people don't like brown people, but yeah, right. I mean, it's. It's the same, but it's the same thing as, as what's happening with the Star Wars universe. It's just, you don't fit what I picture being in this role at all. And it, I think it just, it sucks because I think it just, people are out to ruin things for themselves and ruin things for other people. It's like, you know what? I'm going to ruin this actress's life. Who's, it's no fault of her own. She just uh, took the role, you know, and who wouldn't? Yeah. It wouldn't take a role in the Marvel universe. Like that's stupid if you don't, right? Like who wouldn't take a role in a Star Wars movie? Like that is a lot of people's dreams. And and I think part of it too, some of it comes from the fact that I think people were mad that the new people that get casted in these things maybe necessarily aren't giant super uber fans of it. They're just like it's a movie. I want Yeah, they're doing their job. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing their job what a crazy idea <coughs> just doing my job just doing my job and here comes someone along to just shit on me for no reason and i think that that bugs people like uh it bugged a lot of people that um that bill burr got his role in mandalorian when he's classically shit on star wars and in nerd in nerd uh culture and then he, he gets he gets his part and he does a great job with it, but people are pissed because he's like, But he shit on Star Wars. How dare you? Yeah, I don't I mean, and that's like, you know, but that's where, you know, unfortunately, like the politics of life in today come into play. I think I sent you the uh what magazine or newspaper was it in? Um, it might have been was it Fox News or something about Star Trek? Did I send you that? Yeah, about Star Trek being about woke. Woke, <laughs> right? About like, well, they've ruined Star Trek and made it woke. And I just sent it to Lopez on, and I'm like, tell me you've never seen Star Trek without telling me you've never seen Star Trek. Yeah, like the the TV show that had to fight for a black woman to kiss a white man in 1968 or whatever it was. Yeah, right. And, and, and had androgynous characters and, and males walking around in dresses and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and there's no, a con capitalism doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, there's no longer the pursuit of material gain in the star Wars universe, like the bettering ourselves as a people it's completely inclusive. Right. And they, they're mad cause they add like, you know, gay people and, you know, other themes to the new star Trek properties or whatever. And again, that's just where like, again like bigots it's like it's just and i think it's great because i just love the fact that all these assholes take the bait yeah like i just feel like it's you know it's like what do you say it's like welcome to uh spot a homophobe month yeah yeah absolutely this is spot a homophobe month like people have a problem with something and they can't especially now they can't help but to voice their opinion and to be like hey this has gone too far why are there pride flags on everything? Why are we so woke? Dude, 
I had a parent use the word woke with me the other, like not too long ago. And like these woke CEOs, I think is what was said. And I was like, oh, boy. God, dude, will you just stop watching Fox yeah. News? Will you please just get your own opinion about something? Because then it, I take him two steps past that and he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to continue the conversation. Of course not. I'm just like, dude, you're just you're speaking on on buzzwords. Stop. Don't you just. What what it comes down to, and I think what it comes down to with a lot of people is they're in their bubble, man. Most of the people they're talking to feel the same way. <clears throat> so they can say this and feel like, feel smart for saying these things because they're around people who agree with them. And this is nothing new from what me and you have talked about. And it's dangerous on either side. It's dangerous to to be completely surrounded with people you agree with all the time. Like, I think you need to disagree with folks. And it, because that... That forces you to at least think about your argument a little more. Well, and I'll loop it all the way back around, which is what we talked about about in offline, and we talked about now about being a content creator. It's conceptually the same thing, and it's this. It's like if you want to create – you've got to be the kind of person – if you want to be successful, I think, where – because to your point about the echo chamber is like – People do that because they want to, they need other people to validate them. Right. Right. Like if you're a super conservative or super liberal spouting off super conservative or super liberal talking points around other super conservative or super liberal people, lets them to go. Yes. Yeah. You're right. They just want to say something and then all those people validate them. And it's like with creating content, it's like you, if you shouldn't do it to seek validate, right? Like you've got to just, it's got to be an internal thing, which again, I don't know if I'm just lucky or like DNA wise, I've never really needed that. And so like, for me, my opinions are my opinions mm. and I don't really need, and that's why a lot of my liberal friends, cause I'm mostly liberal, right? Like I, I deviate sometimes on certain issues, but a little, not a lot. I wouldn't say I'm never really conservative, but sure. Um, but you know, like I'll occasionally like not be on par with like super far left stuff and my super far left friends, it just catches them completely off guard. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, I'm just a thinking person. Like I'm not trying to be on a team. Like I'm not here to try to make you feel good about me. So you then point at me and go, I like you or you're right. Like I'm just trying to work through my shit and figure out what I think. And that's all that matters. That doesn't have to line up with you. Yeah. But I don't think a lot of people do it that way. I don't think they're trying to, they're trying to line up with everybody around them because they want to be included. They want to be a part of that, want to be validated. They want people to, you know, and I realize that I recognize a lot of people are like that. You know what I mean? And I'm just not. And I'm honestly really grateful that I'm not. Well, right? and, because, and yeah. And d yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying just because I don't, you know, for me, at least I can just arrive where I, where the natural process takes me based on my own journey. I'm not trying to modify the path I'm taking to go down a way that someone else thinks I should go. Right. Right. You're not just trying to like, it's, it's, it's that whole, like, I don't want to be shunned by the tribe. And I think a lot of people get scared of that. Right. They get scared of like being sent out. Right. I, oh, well, this person doesn't agree with everything that we agree with. So you got to go. Um, yeah, people are afraid to do that. Like they'd, they, it just feels more comfortable to be surrounded by folks. Like I feel like it's super gross to be too far one way or the other. Like I feel like there's something wrong when you're just like, no, everything this stands for, I'm in agreement with. It just doesn't sit right with me. It's just kind of like you. You mean you're not allowed to challenge any of that? Nope, can't do it. Can't challenge it. Yeah. 
stay, keep it right there. Um, yeah, you know whose team I'm on? My team and Holly Furfer's team. <clears throat> yeah, you know, and a handful of humans that I am close to team. And even those people, we may not always agree. And that's fucking okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like now there's some fundamental things. Sure. And those tend to get on the fringes, right? Like if you hate gay people, we're not going to be friends. Yeah. You know, I mean, it would have been nice if we could have found a way to work that out, but you know, I got some lines in the sand. I draw, <laughs> you know i'm, I'm gonna be happy when a when a u-haul full of you get pulled over and yeah, taken like, out so before you can get to a pride parade in idaho i mean and like how terrifying is that just like from how those dudes were dressed and all that stuff so it's just so ugh. Cle- but, so clearly um, what they were about to do so clear with that and then you know just just seeing that and then uh, in such close proximity to seeing that 10 minute video that they play at the january 6th uh, committee, which you're just kind of like, holy fuck, that sounds terrifying. Like to hear all the hear all the police radio chatter, and just to watch what happened. Like <clears throat> you knew it was bad when they were reporting on it, but that's like to see it all edited together like that, to see how it all unfolded, and to see how crazy that got, and to still have people that were just kind of like, yeah, it's just another day. It was just a- Bro, I know people on social media that I know personally that still just think, act like that's just no big deal. Like just, you know, it would like if somebody got mad and, you know, threw a beer bottle at a wall in an Applebee's, like just no big, you know, just, yeah, it was, you know, so I guess it, they shouldn't have done it, but what, I mean, it wasn't that big a deal. Heat of the moment. Fuck it. You know, people <laughs> died. They broke. It never has happened before in history. Um, you know, people broke into the fucking United. I mean, it's like, are you, are we like, what planet do you, are you people living on? Right? Like it's a different world than me. Fortunately now, again, the other advantage of just being like team fur for Arnold, you know what I mean? Is like that shit used to really bother me. And now I'm just like, I've done a good job of curating my universe of friends and family and people I care about mm-hmm. to where that's not us. And I'm just going to stay right. I'm just going to live right here. And, you know, I'm going to not let that, those people come in and, and, and taint the air in here. You know what I mean? Like I got it nice and climate controlled the way I want it. It reminds me, it reminds me of, uh, in in the Carlin documentary, uh, where they were, they had, there's one part where they were talking about how he was, he was basically really just hard on humanity in general. He was just like, he was like, we deserve it. I'm loving watching it. I want to see it burn to the ground, like all this stuff. And they were talking about how like, did, was that, was he really feeling that way? Or was that his character? It was like, and it was just cool the way they just kind of left it kind of up to interpretation. Um, I know I feel a certain way. I'm sure it'd be fun to talk about if you, once you get to see it, but like me, I think me and the wife sat and just talked about, that aspect of it for almost an hour where you're just kind of like holy shit like i've gone back since too and watched a couple of um and watched a couple of his uh specials and his his good overarching points that that are timeless are excellent there's some stuff in between that doesn't age well 
There's absolutely some stuff in between that doesn't age well, but I think I think you'd find that with any comedian, like because it's such a time capsule of what's going on then and what's acceptable to say then. And you know, go back and go back and watch Eddie Murphy Raw. That shit doesn't fly today. Like that's a very different type of especially especially you know with things like Pride now with all that stuff. It's just not gonna fly in the same way. So. The overarching themes and the points that he had in his big in his big points are still there, but yeah, it does like some of the other stuff doesn't age well. But it was just the Apatow did a great job of being like, I'm gonna let you decide if you think he was serious about how he felt about humanity, and it it is it's it's kind of a, it's kind of one of those like head scratchers. You're like, man, was he really feeling that way? But then you know you hear accounts of everybody in his life. It was like no, he was always a happy dude when we hung out. Like it was just. He turned this thing on and he just funneled it all into the stage. And it's just fucking crazy. Well, and that's why I'm not a huge, I generally dislike any sort of cancely. Like, I don't like the cancel culture thing in almost any capacity. Yeah. Same for, for historical stuff. Yeah. Like even if you do stuff currently, like people make mistakes and I think it's all about now. Like for, we've heard me say this before, like to me, everything anyone says ever, anytime, like intent absolutely matters. Yeah. Like what were they intending to do? Cause sometimes people are going to say the wrong thing and maybe hurt somebody's feelings. And if they weren't trying to hurt people or they have an opportunity to go, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't do that. And they can try to self-correct that should be encouraged in society. Right. Not, not isolated. Right. Like allow people, people a chance to make things right because we all screw up right but you know these things where they find tweets from people from like 30 years ago and or not tweets but you know like you find all this old interviews stuff, stuff like, like that yeah yeah it's like man like because especially for that kind of stuff where it's social commentary like the zeitgeist at the time is what dictates all that stuff you know so like again like back in the day like you know, like words you could use or slurs that were used. Like the Eddie Murphy thing is obviously like using the F word for gay people. Right. And that sort yeah. of stuff. Right. Like that wasn't, of course, now that's completely unacceptable at the time. It was not like it is now. And yes, it was wrong, but nobody knew it was wrong. And there was nobody telling people it was wrong. Right. And it's like, so my question is, is like, if you find that, is that person like that now? If they're like that now, then fucking cancel away. Yeah. Right. If they're not like that now, why are we doing, like, why? Why do we have to, like, we've got to use our brains, right? Like, as human people and say, because every one of us has said some shit that would get us canceled, right? Sure. If it was, if, if, if anybody cared about us, which they don't, neither of, we're not on anybody's radar enough where we're going to get canceled. Not yet. Right? But. 20 but years from saying, now. Like, yeah, but like, if it was, like, it's like, am I like that now? I've said things, I grew up in like, an incredibly race. Like I grew up in the deep South, the rural deep South. Mm -hmm. So did you. Yeah. Right. Like, and your situation is different because you're a little, because you are in a minority. Right. And I'm not, I mean, you probably were accepted by the majority and heard a lot of shit that you were probably just like, oof, but you yeah. know, um, but like, for me, it's like, there's a whole lot of things that were so acceptable that I'm sure I said and did that now, if now me, would be just as upset with myself as anybody else would be if any of that stuff resurfaced or if I realized I had done something or said something. Right. And it's yep. like, so if that's true, like I'm an ally now, I try hard to be right. I try hard to be supportive of people of color and gay people and all that stuff. 
And it's like, so is that what you want to do? Like you want to also throw me out if they're, if I screwed up, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago or did something like that to me where it just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if we're all trying to strive towards this goal, why are you trying to isolate and, and sort of, you know, people that quite clearly did not intend to do any harm, you know, know now that things are different and things that they said before were wrong. Isn't that, shouldn't that be our goal as a people to always try to be better? Cause 25 years from now, there'll be things now that are acceptable that people will look back and go, Ooh, that was a gross. Oh yeah. I, I've, I've, I try to pick out what that would be. Like, I'm just like, what would be unacceptable? And I thought of something the other day and I cannot remember what it was. Cause we were talking about, it was me and the wife and we were talking about something and I was like, you know, by the time our kids, you know, in college, that might not be something you can say. And I wish I could remember it right now, but I mean, it's, it's, it's just kind of, it's just kind of wild because I mean, we, we've talked about it ad nauseum here on the podcast and, and, and together, like, it's just, you have to, I absolutely believe you have the right to say whatever the fuck you want, but like the repercussions it's, 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 that's on you, whatever that is. That's on you. Be that someone editing their island in their little space. You know, you, you were talking about I've got, my, I've got my island nice and cooled off and climate controlled to where I want it socially. Nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't mean that the thermostat doesn't need a tweak now and then. Like, yeah, it course. just, it, it, it'll, it'll happen. Like, you'll just, people will surprise you and you'll be like, holy shit, I didn't know this person was like this. Um, and it, it'll shock you sometimes. And sometimes it's people you really fucking love and you're really fucking close to. And you're like, dude, I can't have that. Like, especially now, now that I've got a kid, it's completely different. Like the, the amount of the, the things that I could normally just shrug off and just be like, whatever, I'm changing the subject with some people. If my kid's sitting there, I'm just like, you're not going to fucking download that shit onto her brain. Yeah. Like that. She doesn't need like she will come there will come a point where she will need to know that that's out there but not when she's like five or six you know what i'm saying like and she doesn't need to know that someone someone she's related to feels that way so it's just you start thinking about things different in that aspect you're like not only is it wrong but it's you know you know now you're now you're potentially affecting a developing mind with something so I don't know. It, it is weird because like you said, we both grew up in the South and um, I think that I know that in certain situations, I've got like really good friends that I still have from, from high school and I don't lump them into this, but I know that I was definitely in situations that because I was one of the good ones or because I listened to a certain type of music and, and, you know, and stuff like that is is the only reason why I was accepted in a circle every now and then, you know. And it's kind of like, well, this this guy, yeah, he may be brown, but he loves this band and he's here at this concert. Like any other situation, those guys might have kicked my ass for no reason other than I was brown. Oh yeah, dog. If you were listening to La Raza and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know having pinata birthday parties and stuff. Yeah. I say this as I'm wearing a pinata shirt, a pinata button down shirt, that but fine. yeah, but yeah, it would have probably been a, you know, a different, maybe a different, um, turnout, but that's again, like, that's like, I think that 
that we've talked about this before is that the thing that's crazy is that there is a natural biological defense mechanism in humans bias to a degree bias is a protective instinct, right? Meaning visually people that look like you appear to be safer. Like that's a lizard brain thing. They're part of the tribe. Yeah. Like I, I think you've heard me say this before, right? If I walked into a party and I saw a group of black guys with a boombox playing rap music, you know, in their with their jeans pulled down and whatever. And then there was a group of Asian guys listening to, you know, K-pop, you know, and with their motorcycle jackets. And then there was a group of, you know, sort of more masculine looking women, you know, that, you know, whatever. And then there was a group of white dudes in khakis and polo shirts. And I don't know where to go. Right. Yeah. I probably migrate towards the khaki dudes. Cause I'm just like, well, I don't know anything yet. <laughs> that could actually be a fucking clan meeting. I don't know. Right. But all I can go on is what I see for right now. Sure. And my lizard brain says that's probably the safest place to go. Yeah. Right. Um, now you can find out real fast that that's not true, mm-hmm. but I do think that grouping with visually like groups is a, a somewhat biological thing, but then believing that there's a now now if you believe that that's superior that's a problem and right. that happens a lot that's not hardwired right right but just recognizing sameness in some capacity right or if i couldn't see anything and i heard different kinds of music playing right and i hear all this and there's an ironic i'm like oh i'll probably go over there right like or a foo fighters like somebody's playing the foo fighters i may not see anything but if i got to make a decision on the spot yeah if I go there, I'm going to say, what well, seems like maybe that's a place can be safest for me because at the very least I can go, oh, I like this too. Right. So, but we got to fight those instincts and that's where it gets really sideways is I just don't understand why. I mean, I do understand why historically, but now it's like you were talking about people now that still feel that way. It's just like, and what's no longer acceptable is like, I just have a hard time understanding why anybody anywhere thinks that they're better than anyone else like you know what i mean like that's the thing i feel like we should be beyond right well, yeah this idea that there's uh, that there's superiority in things that you can't control like race or gender or you know sexual orientation or whatever or just super- the superiority in thinking that i don't want that person to do that thing even though it doesn't affect me in any fucking way at all <laughs> right like i don't want that person to get married to that person because I don't believe it. Well, the problem is though, is that they do think it affects them in some way. And it's, but in a very meta way in that they believe it's somehow going to erode their, the way they like the world being. Right. And that's a stupid thing to think about because to your point on your day-to-day life, it doesn't change anything. But somehow yeah. these people have have convinced themselves that somehow they're important enough to where the state of the universe is something that they need to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that like, you know, I don't want the I don't want, you know, my country to be like that. And I'm like, be like what? Like, I, you know, it's like I don't want my country to be like things you do, but I'm not trying to pass laws to say you can't fucking do it. Right. You know what I mean, like. I don't, I wouldn't kill. I'm not a hunter. I don't really particularly like the idea of killing animals. You know what I mean? But I'm not out here trying to fucking, you know, pass laws saying you can't, you know what I mean? Like hunt. Yeah. Go hunt deer if you want, you know, and on your whatever, like, I mean, 
I don't give a shit. I'm not a deer. Right. And I'm not going to be out in your fucking yard. So whatever, shoot away. Right. Like, I don't give a fuck. Just stay away from me. There's, just don't point that thing at me. And in history shown has just shown us that there's just a lot of people who are just all about fucking with other people that are doing things that they don't think is right. Like that they don't, they, they don't agree with us. I should say, you know, and it's just, it's mind numbing. Like, why do you care so much? Like, so like what, why do you care? Like so fucking much when you could just go about your fucking day and not even have to think about it. It's so much. And I told, I told, uh, I told Krista this the other day. I was like, cause we were, we were watching, we, she, she's always looking at reddit so she showed me something just some ignorant dude being a shithead to a couple like an interracial couple in texas or some shit god and i'm just like that seems like it takes so much fucking energy to be that mad and to 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 go to that length to just fuck with people just because they're dating each other and they're not the same color right it seems like something that is just so fucking it just requires so much time, like being in it. And then my wife being in the industry she's in, you know, you, you constantly, uh, run into people who are just kind of like, Oh, well it's because you did something or it's because, you know, you're working against me. We literally had a client tell us you're working against me on this. And it's like, I didn't write the fucking program lady. Like I didn't write the fucking program. Apple did. Apple's working against you, not me. And you want to, you just want to grab them by their dumb face and be like, "Do you fucking understand that if it takes more energy for me to fuck with you than to just fix the problem, so you go the fuck away, and I can go back to reading my book, you know, I can go back to doing whatever the fuck I was doing that was making me much happier than talking to you, like." <laughs> and and Krista runs into it with her job all the time, and she just wants to say, "Ma'am, it's way more work for me to fabricate something that 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 keeps you from getting the thing you need. Way more work. It's it's just mind boggling, and I can't imagine being like that all the time, being that angry all the time. Like, it's just not. I don't have time for it." I bought a house. I've got a kid. Um, yeah. I, I don't know, man. It's like, I don't, it's, there's so much psychology here. You could peel back and it's, but how dare they write that second album the way they I wrote know, that second album. I know it's there. Cause they're assholes. Fucking assholes. All right. Before we get out of here, I know you're headed to Vegas, right? Yeah. So here's what's, so here's what, how sad is this? You mentioned Bill Burr. So Bill Burr has a residency at the hotel we're staying at and we miss him by one day. What the fuck? I know. It's Man. so sad. Like I was like, I was so, cause I looked and saw, I was like, we're staying at the Cosmopolitan and I was like, Bill Burr's got a residency at the Cosmopolitan. I, Cosmopolitan. He literally plays the night before we get there and the night after we leave. Jesus. We miss him on one day on either end. He's so good live. And it makes me so sad like that we were we're not going to see him. I was so fucking excited. But oh, man. That is depressing. I'd be really bad. Like I'm a big enough fan that I'd be like, how much is that change of ticket? Like I'll fucking do it. <laughs> I'll, well, what, I'll change we, the ticket now. 
We seriously thought about staying over an extra day, but here's the problem, dude. We're going to Vegas for four days. That's a lot of Vegas. And that's one more day than you should be in Vegas already. <laughs> Arguably two, depending on how well you're doing. Arguably two. So like, I'm just like, God, I can't. I went, when I went to Vegas for my bachelor party, we went out there for five days. Fuck. Bro, day two nighttime we were going to bed and i was just like bro we're not even at the halfway point <laughs> god i uh yeah i haven't been to vegas in a while i do like vegas but yeah i think that four days is like oof, you're pushing it there so, but i mean hopefully too like yeah you're you're you know when's the last time you went to vegas uh it's probably been six seven years you're a different person now man like well, I, mean, I think you're gonna be able to make it fun yeah, I mean, I can say this. I mean, so I'm going with my best friend who um, is kind of going through or has gone through like a pretty big life adjustment. Yeah. Like he got divorced a couple of years ago. He had a very successful law firm that he just sold. Mm -hmm. um, and he went back to school to get his PhD. He wants to teach. I mean, his driver for his law firm was like, He's made tons of money, you know, and has done really well. He doesn't really need money anymore. Like he's one of those people we've talked about, like he's got enough money to where now he can not really not work and he could, he'd be fine. Yeah. Um, and he kind of said, man, I don't really, I'm killing myself doing this work and I don't really need it. Like, why am I stressed out like this? Yeah. Right. Which good for him. Like, again, most people fear, like most people would not like get into that point. Right. It's just like. But he's going to go, he's working. So he's finished up school for the summer. He's got one of his daughters going to college next year. His other one's a freshman, but they go to this summer away camp for like two and a half weeks mm -hmm. and they're gone when we're going. So basically he's like, I don't have a job. I'm in between semesters. My kids are gone. So I don't have any, cause he's got joint custody. He lives in the same town. You know, they half and half time, right. With his mom, with their mom. Yeah. And He's like, why don't we just go? So like, what's cool is like, you know, I'm not really like, you know, the clubs and all the crazy, like we both like to gamble and that's fine. Cause again, fortunately, like we're both in a position where we can afford to lose a little money and we'll both just bring what we can lose and be okay with losing. If we lose, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? If we don't lose, then great. If we do lose, then we're prepared to lose it. And it's not like we're putting ourselves in danger. Right. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting because I don't like what most people think about Vegas with the debauchery and all that stuff is not really on our agenda. Like we're going to see a show called opium, which are the same people that do absinthe, which is the show that's been running at Caesars for years and years. They're very reverent, very adult. The stage is a rocket ship, but if you look at it from the top down, it looks like a huge dick. <laughs> nice. And it's all like drag queens and you know, it's just it's all just crazy. It's all about yeah. sex and drugs and it's just nuts. And um we're gonna go eat at some ridiculous restaurant, you know, because we're both we love food. Yeah. I was about to ask you what your go to was like what's your go to like I have to go here because i haven't been here in six years well that's what's interesting for me about vegas is is i don't really do that i go more the like where haven't i been yet and nice. let's go right but you know because it, there are places that i love like the place honestly i probably if i had to pick a spot um is um the 
Lotus of Siam is this like Chinese restaurant there that has been there forever and it's legendary and it's mm. authentic. It's unbelievable. And then, um, um, uh, Smith and Walensky is a steakhouse that's there. That's kind of been there for a long time that I really like, but there's so many great restaurants in Vegas now yeah. that like, we're going to hit, you know, so I think right now the two we're looking at is, um, there's a place called Barry's prime, which is a steakhouse that's in old Vegas. So it's down like Fremont, you know, street down there, um, that I really want to go to. And then, um, uh, Jose Andres has a restaurant there called, um, uh, meat bazaar. Okay. Which, you know, which is just like a, you know, he's <coughs> Spanish obviously. And sure. you know, just whatever. Although that one's pretty damn, that one's pricey, like real pricey. Um, it's like, I think it's a Michelin starred restaurant actually. Damn. Um, so we're looking at that. I mean, but I know we'll probably go to Barry's. Um, but there's just so many, but like there's a cigar bar in Caesars that we really like. And so like, we'll go in there and smoke cigars and have some bourbon. We'll probably bet on some sports. Um, yeah. I mean, so like to me, something I found out pretty quick, like the first time I went to Vegas to really get into like the debauchery of Vegas, you've got to just be willing to just drop tons of cash and go to these crazy clubs and places. And I'm just kind of like, I just kind of want to chill with my friends and go play some cheap tables somewhere. Like just go, go to old Vegas and, you know, go to the Golden Gate and just play some blackjack, walk around, see things. Like it, I just, yeah. I'd had no, I've, I've had friends that were had the urge to go stand in line to get into a club, no. and I'm just like, I just can't, dude. And then you get in there, and it's not going to be what you think it is. Like you just end up standing there ordering two or three really fucking expensive drinks, and no one fucking talks to you. All right, because. All you can afford is those two or three expensive drinks. Like you just, you got to do some work to really get into the debauchery of Vegas. I feel like, although I will say though, the last time me and my buddy went together, we were kind of in that phase in our life and we went to pure, which at the time I think was the club in the Bellagio. Yeah. And, um, it was one of those weird, like it was just, there's always, but there was a lot of people in town, like fucking Ashley, um, Simpson was there with the dude from whoever, which was she? It was not the good Charlotte guy, but um, it wasn't a fucking or Fallout like, Fallout Boy guy. No, what? or was it like DJ AM or something? Was there with like Paris Hilton? Like it, you know, it was one of those kind of things. But the greatest part about it is, is like, um, we were walking in to the club, and we had just gotten in. Right. And so we had gone over, not super early, but a little bit early. And there were people in their partying. And I saw a guy sort of off balance a little. And, and he sort of stopped and he was telling a story and he was trying to talk to some girls or something. He was waving his arms all around. And there was a little person, you know, like mm -hmm. a, a, a dwarf, right? A little yeah. person. And he swung his arm around and hit this person. And I go, hey, what the fuck? And the guy turned around and I'm like, he goes, what? And I'm like, what are you, dude, watch what you're doing. Like you just clocked this guy in the face, like fucking calm down. Yeah. Right. It's like eight o'clock. Like you're, you're going to be dead if you keep this up. Right. Like it's so early. And anyway, I just, and I wasn't even paying. And the guy, the, the little person goes, Hey, thanks dude. It was fucking wee man. 
Oh, from, from Jackass. Uh, Jackass, yeah. And he he's like, come on. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Because I didn't know who he was. And we ended up hanging without that dude the entire, he had a table, like in the, you know, and like, that's like a, whatever it is, 1500 buck minimum, you know, like if you get a table in that place, like you have to buy like table service or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he just ends up dragging us around and it was a bunch of like his jackass buddies. And we just ended up hanging out with those dudes all fucking night. Wow. Just the shit, the shit you can fall into is incredible when you're out there, I'm sure. Um, and like, we ended up not spending any money. You know what I mean? But it was just like, that was the thing. Like, I don't, I told David, I was just like, I don't think I want to go to any clubs. I'm like, but the funny thing is, is like, you just kind of never know what might happen. Like something like that, mm-hmm. you know, especially, although now it's like, I told him, I'm like, you know, the danger now though, is we're going to be the old guy in the club. Remember when we did that and we saw the dudes in the club and like, why aren't those guys here? Yeah. Who the like, fuck are these guys? That's us now. I'm like, you realize, of course that's us, right? Like the 22 year olds will be like, Oh my God, these guys are almost dead. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm like perfect age right now for breweries. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not perfect age for like the college bars in my town. Like I'm just not, it's, it's weird. And I was like, and I'm fully aware of that. And my, my temples remind me every day that I'm fully aware of that. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's, no, no, I was just saying like, it's there, it's, it's time to let the young be the young, let them have it. And you go and do your own thing and just sit at the table. But that's the thing. Like, I mean, I used to say, or I think uh, I said it the other day and my buddy corrected me, but like, we'll be sitting at a $5 table, although they don't have $5 tables anymore. Their $10 is now, I think the minimum table everywhere. But, um, uh, even in old Vegas. Yes. Okay. Um, there may be some fiber somewhere still in old Vegas, but I don't think so. But, um, but also it's like, we like to do stuff that like, and we'll probably throw dice. Like, I don't know if there's any craps players, but like craps is one of those games where it, I mean, if you just want to throw dice and have fun and you, you can stand there forever. You know what I mean? Like because of the nature of the betting, if you're not betting crazy, cause you'll hit some, you'll lose some and it's just a slow, slow burn. Right. And, you know, and you're just, you know, you're getting drinks and you're meeting people standing around the pit, you know what I mean? Like around the the table. And like, we like to do that a lot, but you know, you can go, I can take 200 bucks and stand at a dice table for three or four hours. Yeah. Assuming you just don't go on a really terrible, you know, like somebody just goes ice cold. Like that's a game where you're going to win, you know, you're going to, you're going to win five out of, you know, you're going to win, you're going to lose you know, 60% of the time. Right. So it just keeps balancing itself out. You know what I mean? Over time and you can just sit there and just kind of chill, but, Oh, and I'm sure there'll be like during the day, there'll be a whole lot of like mojitos at the pool. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, 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 you can kind of, yeah, I, I do the same thing with blackjack in old Vegas. You know, you just sit around and, bullshit with your friends and play you can play blackjack and go up and go down and go up and get down and you can just maybe maybe walk away from the table you know maybe even like some nights you're you're up right but you can kill like three or four hours easy and not even realize it and in vegas it's nice because that's you know that's your booze money because as long as you're gambling they'll bring you drinks yep right so it's like if you didn't gamble you i'd spend it you know to your point because booze is so expensive Mm. Um, at least then you're getting your, uh, drinks. Although, um, it's going to be July in Vegas. So my buddy was like, oh, God. Pool, 
And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we can do that, but I don't know how much threshold is going to be there. Cause it's going to be about 75,000 degrees outside. Mm. So, um, either I'm just going to be in the pool the whole entire time or, uh, you know, um, cause it's going to be real hot. Last time we were there, it was, uh, I think we got, we, we had one day where it was one eighteen, Um, and it was the weekend that they legalized recreational marijuana. So, and it was, and it was international fight week. So like they were having a huge UFC and the place was just buzzing. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was still fun, but man, it was so hot. Like you had to kind of like, like when you went to go to go somewhere, you just kind of had to jog to the next place so you could get the fuck out of the sun as quick as possible. Um, but even at night, it felt like a brick, like a, yeah, like a pizza oven, oven. a yeah. pizza oven. Like you're just walking around. You're like, it's still fucking hot. It's midnight. It's just radiating in your face. Well, and one of the big things is normally when David and I have gone in the past, we've stayed off strip just because it's cheaper. Sure. Yeah. We just Uber in. But he had some comp nights at Cosmo, which is right down there on the strip. Mm. So the other thing that's nice is like we like most of the bars in the Cosmopolitan. And I don't know if you that's a fairly new one. I don't know if you've been there. I don't, kind of I may have walked through it. I don't think I've I've been it, in you there. Know, it's a really it's modern. It's it's only been around I mean, I, it's it's ten years old, fifty I mean, I don't know, it's pretty new. And um uh we're also lucky that we don't have to necessarily do a lot of traveling around if we don't want to, like we can just kind of hang there. And if we do like Caesars Bellagio, like everything is right. You know, like we can just go across yeah. the street, you know what I mean? If we want to go to another spot. So, um, yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see with the heat and that whole thing. But I also just remembered the other day about the whole weed bit. So <laughs> that's the other thing is like, there's going to be probably a, a, a a reasonable amount of edible consumption as you as on. you should i mean we went to the we went to the dispensary the for that weekend to be like hell yeah we can buy weed legally and uh you know and all that stuff and we come out and there's a news there's a news team standing outside and they're asking mm -hmm. people to interview like this is like the first the very first day it's legal and uh they're like oh would you like to come on camera and talk to us about you know i was like no no you know where I'm from? No, I can't do that. No speak of English. No. Yeah. Medicine. Medicine. Just walk away. Medicine. <laughs> oh man. Well, I hope you have fun in Vegas and I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you going on the maiden voyage on the offline show. Uh, offline with Lopez radio is going to be available on YouTube on the, uh, on the YouTube, um, channel for Lopez radio. So be sure to check that out. I'll have a link for that in the description of the podcast. Um, or you can just look up Lopez radio on YouTube at Lopez radio for all social media. If you want to follow Sean, it's at Sean ATL on Twitter and at M Sean Arnold on Instagram. Uh, you can also check out his, uh, I almost called it your iPod, which is now defunct. Check out my iPod. I'll check out, so check out my iPod, bro. Holds 500 gigs. Uh, <laughs> TMIPod.com. Check out his podcast. Uh, it's wonderful stuff. Are you planning on firing up some more of those soon? Yeah, I've actually been trying. I've had on a bit of hiatus because I started my business. Sure. Um, you know, it's weird. It's going to be two years in September, but we've just been so busy. But I just actually sent out some emails this week about getting some stuff queued up. So that's going to be ramping back up here shortly. Yeah, I've got some big stuff coming down the pipes, too. I've got 
once I put this out, I've got two scheduled this weekend with uh, a streamer friend of mine, uh, Ashley. She's also known as Kitty Cosmos. And then uh, Nick Schultz, Slick Schultz, uh, one of the uh, longtime uh, guests of the show. Hasn't been on in a long time, uh, but uh, we're going to actually meet up and we're going to record a uh, we're going to record a podcast and an episode of Offline in a brewery. I actually already reached out to the brewery and got permission, so we should be good to go. Um, but that'll be happening this weekend. So next couple of weeks, we should have some uh, some pretty steady content flowing out of Lopez Radio. So leaning hard back into the uh, podcast side of things and the YouTube side of things. But uh, Sean, thanks for being here tonight, man. I really appreciate it. It's uh, We always manage to kill about four hours in yep. no time. It's just like... That's why we're friends. It's my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, guys, thanks for being here. Um, we will see you next time around. Be on the lookout at Lopez Radio on all the social medias and on YouTube. See ya.